This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. It's Tuesday morning and uh, hope you're having a uh, hope you're having a great day as we're leading up to the holidays i'm sure a lot of uh festivities you got a lot of travel to do hopefully uh boy the people are doing okay um those that were involved in that tragic accident the train derailment in washington state um worried about them today as you watch the news and you see how fragile we really are by the way uh, an inaugural trip this was the first trip of this trail line on this uh, on this new train line, um, and uh, the Amtrak train derails over an inter- interstate. It's uh, I think so far we know that uh, three are dead, and we'll be getting to more um, of those headlines with Terry about that. Unbelievable, and honestly, one of the tragedies that you see. It seems like about every other year, major train derailment, and it's similar to other Amtrak. Uh, wrecks that we had on the East Coast. Yeah. One, there was one in yeah. Philadelphia, one Speed's in New York. involved. This one, um, they spent eight, it was $800 million updating the entire length of this track. <sighs> there are specific cities that filed lawsuits to stop this because they felt it was too fast yeah. to go through residential areas. The whole point of this was to get a train up to a higher speed to cut 10 minutes off yeah. between what, Spokane and, and Seattle. Seattle. Or, yeah, yeah. And so now there's speculation, like, was the train on its first trip, with was- a lot of eyeballs watching this, were they trying to make it, like, 12 minutes? Oh, were they trying to speed it up? Plus, there's... They went around this curve. They're supposed to go 30 miles an hour, oh. and they were going 80. And there's systems on the train to yeah. slow it there's down. There's a braking system. A similar system was supposed to be used in Philadelphia, and then I believe it was in New York, around that area, where they had two other wrecks, yeah. where this system didn't work on the east coast here they're saying it wasn't even turned on uh, positive train control they call it yes. it wasn't even turned on unbelievable and but, the train i mean it derailed on both sides of a of an overpass so you've got yeah. train cars on both sides of the overpass 100 people taken to the hospital three confirmed uh, uh dead and the only way to get into where the cars were was that freeway Oh wow! Right, I think it was yeah. the was it the I five? Yeah, I, I think so. That freeway that was the only access they had to climb up the embankment to the top of the bridge to get over to kind of where some of the people were. So it was just a horrible, like just situation trying oh. to logistically get in and get people out and get them down to ambulances and off to the hospital. I've so. been on a scene of like a fifty car pileup, forty something car pileup before as an EMT, and it is it's just it's just a whole different world. It, seriously, it's a war zone. So you could hear the people calling in and um, some of the phone calls you could listen to on the news. Unbelievable. Like they're just in awe. Right. You don't expect – by the way, brand new train. Mm-hmm. Brand new. Well, the conductor train. on the call in was saying we have cars on the road. Yeah. The word, yeah, the cars are on the road. And the person on the, the other end is like, are people hurt? And he's like, I don't know yet. We just fell off the bridge. You know. <laughs> Ah, so they don't know. So, I mean, and it could be other things. I mean, we don't have all the data in. So it could be whatever it was. The train shouldn't have been probably going 80 miles an no. hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. Right. And uh, for some reason, they didn't have all the systems up. They, I don't know. They were free-handing it. Who knows what I, they were I doing? I don't know. 
Yeah. Unbelievable. Tragic. Tragic. Three deaths. And again, as you're already getting prepared to travel, that only puts more. I mean, that and the Atlanta airport shut down and all of these things make you think, do I really want to go to grandma's house? Mm, that's where we're going. Is it? Are you driving? or Driving. Tri- don't take train and don't fly. Check and check. Just walk. Um, walk. It's kind of a long way yeah. away. By the way, uh, President Trump read a statement about it. Mm. And what I'm finding out is he's getting better and better at these surprise announcements and uh, and is he? That's offering good. condolences. That's good. Because he his, read it. His first tweet. Not the tweet. Not the he tweet. He blamed this on yeah. infrastructure, yeah. and it's actually because someone didn't turn a safety no. system on. Then, when he was announcing like. his new, uh, he was announcing his new foreign policy yeah. thing. He then gave a very uh, sincere apology and mm. condolences, offered condolences to the families, and then he blamed it on infrastructure. Is that what he did? Yeah. Okay. This was locker room talk. Well, he paced not but he's getting it. better. Like did, I mean, remember early on, we didn't know what he would say. Right. Even back to Puerto Rico, he's Dave. pacing himself a little bit. Right. And and um, the one thing people are remembering from that press conference is the drink of water he took. Yeah, because he did it with two hands. He's getting a lot of flack for that. Just like my six-year-old. Yeah, probably probably got done. It was all. <sighs> <laughs> ah, that was a big drink, you know. Yeah, oh, you can't win when you're president. <laughs> you can't. Well, and especially if you just made fun of Marco Rubio. Yeah, you're well, going to. Before get you. at that bottle of water, yeah, as he made another announcement a couple months back, he's so. something's he's parched. Maybe he's on a new medicine. He's Sometimes new medicines right. make you get parched. Maybe he needs some sort of uh, IV situation to keep him hydrated. Yeah, maybe they're going to make him change his Trump diet. What the two what the Trump meal twenty four hundred uh, the two Big Macs meal. the huh? two filet fish and a uh, chocolate shake. I mean, it sounds like a great meal, honestly. Oh yeah. Who wouldn't want that? When you're marching to execution, you know, get your last meal, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares at that point? <laughs> we um, we got a lot to cover. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what else should we be focused on? Members of uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation say they expect the probe to last through much of 2018, despite President Trump's insistence. That the end is right around the corner, the Washington Post reports. Administration officials and aides close to Trump say they fear tension will flare up between the White House and Mueller after a meeting this week in which Trump's lawyers are expected to push for the president to be exonerated from any collusion claims, according to the report. While Trump has been reassuring members of his inner circle that he will soon be cleared of Russian interference allegations, yeah. sources familiar with the investigation say it is nowhere near finished. A source familiar with the private conversations within the White House described Trump as arrogant and living in his own world when it comes to the Russia probe, saying he brushes off pleas from two aides asking him to take the matter more seriously. Trump says he will get a document of some kind, maybe a certificate, okay, signed from Robert Mueller. Oh. That will both apologize and clear him from any wrongdoing. Really? Yes. Similar to my child who got one for perfect attendance last quarter. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Congratulations to him and to President Trump for his possible yeah. future like, certificate. Ah, there's four people who, two, what, two indicted? Yeah. Two arrested? I they're, don't know. They're, it's, and, but it's also like he's standing there, you know. On a murder scene, like, nothing to see here, keep moving, nothing to see here. And his lawyers have said it would be to my Thanksgiving. 
Now they're saying it'll be done by Christmas. Yeah. Now they're saying it'll be done just after the first of the now year. we're right there. We're inches yeah. away. That's a Trump minute. Is that yeah. what it is? Trump minute. It'll Vice, get done in a Trump minute. Vice President Mike Pence has delayed his trip to Israel and Egypt in case he needs to cast a tie-breaking vote in the Senate when it comes time to vote on the GOP tax bill. Pence was set to leave on Tuesday, but will instead depart in January, his office said. His uh, press secretary said in a statement, the vice president is committed to seeing the tax cut through to the finish line. He just wants mm. a vacation. It's yeah, going to go much. through. He didn't need to That's cancel right. his trip. Republicans have stated they are certain they have enough votes to pass the tax overhaul, despite having just a 52 to 48 majority and Senate, our Senator John McCain likely missing the vote. So that would be what, a 51 to 48? Kind of cuts that a little close. close. They're hoping to have a vote sometime this week. A House and Senate both vote today on final passage of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. A new CNN poll, 55% of U.S. adults oppose the tax bill, while 33% report it. A 10-point drop since November. Which is so strange, because how many people that you think don't like it have even actually got any clue what's in it? I don't know how how many people that are actually going to vote on it know what's no, in it. Exactly. Since, like so Bob Corker's like, how what's does anybody this? have an opinion about this? I don't know. It's kind of we fun. don't even know what it is. Come on. Uh, FBI officials warned Donald Trump that foreign countries like Russia would try to infiltrate his campaign as far back as August of 2016. This, according to a report from NBC really? News, then the Republican presidential candidate facing off against Hillary Clinton, Trump was apparently briefed on the possibility just weeks after he officially won the GOP nomination. NBC News reports that counterintelligence officials asked both Clinton and Trump to tell the FBI about any unsavory outreach from foreign actors. Unsavory outreach. Trump most likely received the briefing after August 17th, 2016, by which point several Trump campaign officials had already had the type of interaction the FBI was curious about. Uh, Don uh, Don Jr.'s meeting at Trump Tower with Russian lawyers, Donny. for example, occurred in June of that year, even though it was not uh, publicly known until the New York Times reported it this past July. Oh, really? So they had the meeting, and then a couple months later, they were told, hey, if you've met anyone, let us know, and then no one said anything, even though they had all the emails, right? So... Yeah, so that's... Nobody uh, wants... Yeah, you don't want to step on yourself. (laughs) So everybody just stands there. Everyone stands quietly. It's like, who wants to give the prayer? Mm, No hands go up. (laughs) We'll just sit here forever, guys. I know you (laughs) want to go home. And finally, the shoulder-shrugging reply of, whatever, Uh, continues to annoy Americans more than any other word or phrase. Whatever. But the term whatever the term fake news is coming on strong. Oh, is it? The annual Marist College poll of most annoying words and phrases found whatever topped the list for the ninth straight year. It was the pick of one third of poll respondents who were given five choices. The recent edition of fake news was slightly ahead of no offense, but for second place, twenty three percent to twenty. About one in ten found literally. To be the most grating, literally, as it did a, a similar number for you know what I mean. Those are the five. <laughs> you know what my uh, biggest pet peeve is, as yeah, far as what people talk say. About it. Any complaint oh. made against talk about Star Wars: The Last Jedi? Yeah, that makes you mad. It really gets me going. Well, it's but, because you're a critic. By the, the way, the critics were obviously wrong on that movie. Mm, there is a change dot org petition. Oh, yeah. boy. Really? That reads yeah. that um, this edition of the Star Wars 
mo- this movie that's been added to the canon now, right? It's part of the story needs yeah. to be removed because it is ruining Star Wars. Can really? I tear down two of the complaints that people are making right now? I me, wish you would. Let me read this. And okay. then it says, this installment completely destroys the legacy of Luke Skywalker and the Jedi. It destroys the very reason most of us as fans like Star Wars. Wrong. This can be fixed just as you wipe out 30 years of stories, right? So when Disney took over the, the Star Wars franchise, they said all the fan fiction, all this other books and novels yeah. and comic books, that's all gone. 30 years of you guys just, just wanting more movies. We're giving you more movies. We have to do it this way. So they changed everything. Wipe that all out. We ask you to wipe out one more, The Last Jedi. Remove it from canon. Push back uh, this episode. Make, remake that episode properly to redeem Luke Skywalker's legacy, integrity, and character. Okay. That's the petition. Go ahead. I don't think you can tear down The Last Jedi without tearing down the original trilogy. Mm. One complaint that I saw was there's no gravity in space. Those bombs that they drop at the beginning of the film would not they it wouldn't work. But isn't it also true that you there's no sound in space? So why are we hearing the explosions that we heard in the original films? Wow. Boom. The second boom. Well, no, there'd be no boom. Well, exactly. It'd just be yeah, maybe the yeah. the second mic drop will say uh, people are complaining about Captain Phasma. Oh, she shows up, has this really small part. When in actuality, if you compare her part to Boba Fett's part in Return of the Jedi, right. she probably has five times the screen mm-hmm. time that Boba Fett does. Absolutely. Mm. So why are people complaining? Okay. Um, By the way, this petition I from on Change.org, it's been out for four days. Yeah. It's already well on its way to reaching 10,000 signatures. It has has 8,500 so far. Okay. Let me just say this. Hmm. Maybe it's time that some people get a life and recognize that none of this is real. I think this is proof that people love to have things to hate. Yes, they love to hate, which was exactly the opposite of what Yoda would want. He would. (laughs) It's <laughs> these people. <laughs> if you don't like it, let me just give you some advice. Walk away and go back to Battlestar Galactica. Go go watch whatever you want to watch. But some people didn't like that either. The the funny thing is, this is just creative license, right? And yes. they're going to take it in a direction. And the idea that there's a canon uh, that this is can, canonical—is that the word? Yes. Yes. That's redunculous. No, it isn't. It's a flipping movie. Continuity is everything, Matt. Continuity in a fake world is still fake continuity. The, the fans want the uh, want Disney basically to push back Lucasfilm, push back Episode Nine, redo Episode Eight because there's been just a huge yeah. wrong on society. Right. They you burned can... the books. Maybe they may have burned no, the were... books of the hey, Jedi. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. Oh. Not everyone's seen the movie yet. Oh, Listen. Sorry. You were never going to win with these people that are complaining because after seeing The Force Awakens, they had created these own fan theories of where these Mm storylines should go. Mm -hmm. So they were going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. because they weren't going to go in that direction. But if they had gone, you know, the stereotypical route that everybody thought they were going to go, they would have been disappointed that way, too, because they would have said, oh, it's just they're playing it safe. You know, the answer is racquetball. Do something get else. Get some exercise. Get alive. Get some fresh air. There's a lot of racquetball courts, I think, that are open now. Mm. It was a big thing in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> Grab a little racquetball racket. You can probably get one at, you know, the thrift store. Yeah. 
go get yourself a can of racquetballs and go play racquetball. If they sell those anymore. Yeah. I have yeah. a good analogy for this. Are you, are you still you're going with this? Still going. Well, we lit you know fuse. how your kids, you know how your kids just will not eat certain foods. They've never yeah. tried it, but they've right. already made up their minds going into that meal. I will not like this. No, totally. By the and way, even if they even if they try it and take a few bites, mm-hmm. they really like it, but they are so adamant that they don't like it. After that movie, my kids won't drink milk anymore. Mm. <laughs> Careful, they won't go near it. <laughs> Careful. Uh, and I can't believe Ray lost her three limbs. Mm. That's sad. It's all right. It's so sad. She'll be able to wield the saber with her foot. It'll be fine. I did love the foot scene with... the hardest wielding there is. I did love the scene with Jar Jar at Binks, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I thought we didn't want him back, but all of a sudden he's back playing a major part in this. Which the, may be part of the uh, fan reaction. Yeah. Mm. Well, especially because I had no idea that he was a Jedi. That's amazing. Yeah. He's a librarian. Sometimes the, uh, the force manifests later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Not when you're a child. Interesting, though. His speech cleared up. Really? I felt like I could understand him so much better. Now he sounds like Barry White. Very appealing. Hey, baby. <laughs> hey, um, okay. Here are 11 words, slang terms, TV slang terms that you need to know. Oh, okay, good. And this actually parallels with what we've been talking about. Mm. A new report from the UK unveiled some uh, top 10 terms uh, that gained popularity in 2017, according to a survey uh, surveying 2,000 British folks. Okay, here they are. Overnight flexpert. Do you know what an overnight flexpert is? No. We see it a lot talking about Star Wars. This describes someone who believes they're an expert after watching one Netflix documentary on a subject. Oh, gotcha. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I've met those They're people. a flexpert. Like the making the murder people? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Netfickle. This describes someone who doesn't give a show a chance after five minutes of viewing. Right. you got to give it two episodes. Yeah. Then burn it. They're Netfickle. Burn it all down. Mansurfing, often used for men who assume the remote control is their exclusive property. It is, though. You'd think so. Mm-hmm. Rage against the screen. Mm. Someone who shouts at characters on the screen. Don't do it. Come on. Yeah. Serial relationship. Mm. Uh, building a friendship over a TV series. Ooh. Ooh. So you may have somebody you can talk to about your series. Well, I guarantee you friendships are being ruined by Star Wars The Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. Mm. They're dissolving. Oh, yeah. Left and right. And again, once again, what's the answer? Racquetball. Racquetball. By the way, that'll bring two people together. Mm. Until you get hit in the back. That's right. <laughs> then you know who your friends are. Uh, prime and Prejudice. This describes <laughs> the relationship between two people who argue over the streaming service. Whose streaming service is better? Mm. Phantom Fixer. Anyone who uses your streaming service password, even though they promise to use it only once, but they keep using it. Liars. Netflix and Swill. Switching from Netflix binge to traditional TV programs. Yeah. That doesn't happen. That's not a thing. Cancelitis. The feeling you get when your favorite show has been canceled. Mm-hmm. It hurts. That's it hurts. an inflammation, by the way, of the cancel. Yeah. That sounds painful. One stream wonder. When a show has a fantastic first episode but drops off thereafter. Mm. That's a one stream wonder. Uh, and Boulevard of Broken Streams. <laughs> <laughs> the painful feeling of a spotty web connection. Oh. Ooh, that is very real. Ah! So, and, that, and that could be coming to a home near you with, uh, with net, neutrality net neutrality going away. Yeah. Thanks, net neutrality. Now you can throttle us. 
throttle away. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about the kindness of strangers, some pretty amazing research about people who are more altruistic, those that give, those that donate more. Is it that their brains are different? Stick with us. Interesting insights straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. What, what great advice from The Simpsons. A stranger is just a friend you haven't met yet, right? Would you risk your life to save a total stranger? Although you might not uh, do that to this extent, people do this every day to help people they don't know. And and from, you know, don- donating organs to giving money to uh, service and other charitable acts of, and work. Here to speak with us about altruism is Abigail Marsh. She is a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Georgetown University and has been uh, studying extensively altruism and our brain. Abigail, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What an interesting uh research I think you're doing and undertaking. What are you finding out about altruistic people? Um, what, what are we seeing that is actually different about them? Or is there anything different about them from the rest of us? Well, one of the really interesting things I've found is that the very altruistic people I've studied who have all donated a kidney to a stranger are in a lot of ways not that different from mm. other people. We've done personality tests with them and tests of moral reasoning and things that you might expect there to be huge differences on. And we don't find a lot. Um, they're actually a pretty heterogeneous group. Um, but where we do find differences is when we uh, have put them in fMRI brain scanners and compared uh, their responses to images of people who are in distress, so who look afraid, uh, relative to ordinary people. And we find that in them, a region of their brain called the amygdala is more responsive to images of people in distress, and that region is also bigger than it is in ordinary people. Interesting. So are they more fearful? So this is an interesting question. Um, we know that people who are very low in care and empathy, who are, for example, psychopathic, do tend to be relatively fearless, and their amygdalas are less responsive to other people's fear as well. So people who are altruistic are not exactly the opposite. They tend to have a pretty robust fear response, but they don't have, for example, anxiety disorders. It's not that they are paralyzed by fear. Right. They are really sensitive to other people's fear, and they also have this really interesting quality of being able to override their own fear response when they see that somebody else is in trouble. Wow. Now, th- this is actually, you can see this in the brain. You can see that, is it, is it a different formation in the brain? Is it the amygdala is bigger? What does it look like? We only have really uh, rough measurements so far. We're working on bringing a number of these people back in again to try to get a little more detail. What we know so far is that the amygdala itself, which is a smallest structure, it's maybe uh, two centimeters or so in diameter, but it's really important, is bigger by about 8% in the altruists, although we can't say yet what part of it is bigger. And with fMRI, we can't tell really a lot of important things about it that we need to know, but we're getting there. Um, and uh, we also can tell that the amygdala's connections with another region of the brain that we know is involved in overriding fear responses uh, called the periaqueductal gray, those connections between those structures are also stronger. Wow. Um, now, it seems a little counterintuitive to me. I, I've learned a little bit about the amygdala as kind of our fight-or-flight response, mm-hmm. and it, I, I, I always assumed it was for survival. So 
is is being altruistic a survival tendon technique or is it it almost seems like if I'm going to be giving up my organs like kidneys, <laughs> it's anti-survival. It's going to hurt me. Well, of course, you know, that's what Darwin actually originally speculated uh, over 100 years ago was that altruism should have been weeded out from the population because anybody who risks their own life to help a stranger seems like they would be working against their own self-interest. But the key thing is that um, although, you know, the myth is that, you know, nature is red in tooth and claw, that's really only true in its sort of barest form for species that are not social. And we humans are an incredibly social species. And so it's really important for us to not only have um, the instinct to protect ourselves, but the instinct to protect other members of our group, especially, for example, those who are vulnerable, like our children. Uh, And we certainly wouldn't have survived without the instinct to protect our own children, for example. And I read in um, some of your uh, writings that this, I guess, this altruistic tendency, I guess, and empathy even, it's it's connected to uh, cries from babies. So we, those people that are more altruistic might reach out more to, to babies that are crying. Is that accurate? Maybe. Uh, this is something we haven't tested, but it's a really good hypothesis. Um, huh. the, the idea is that the, the urge to care all springs from the sort of original urge for parents to care for their offspring. Um, and that from there, our brain has sort of built out a much more general caring response. Uh, and so all of the same uh, structures and systems in the brain that help us um, act to protect our babies seem to also be involved when we're acting to protect anybody who reminds us maybe in some way of a baby by being vulnerable or by sounding distressed or uh, sounding weak or something like that. Is is this, I guess, hardwired then or is it socialized? Do we learn to do this? If we have altruistic parents, are we more likely to become altruistic? It's almost certainly some combination of those things. Um, We as a human species are certainly hardwired with the capacity for care. Um, That's uh, clearly true. Um, And the fact that we can also be aggressive doesn't really negate that. It's certainly possible to be both um, having the capacity for care and for aggression. Uh, And when it comes to differences between people, there are almost certainly some genetic differences. Um, because there are genetic differences between people for everything. Um, But I wouldn't go so far as to say that those differences are hardwired. They're influenced by genetics, but life experiences certainly play a role in how we turn out as well. Um, In terms of parental behavior, there's not a lot that we've been able to identify that that very clearly promotes altruism, although uh, we do know that in kids who are very high risk of being not very compassionate, so kids who uh, have sort of callous dispositions early on, if they have parents who are unusually warm and responsive, it seems to make them quite a bit better over time. Huh. So I think just having a warm, responsive relationship with your parents is really important. Interesting, isn't it? Um, again, we're speaking with uh, Abigail Marsh. She is an associate professor of psychology and the interdisciplinary neuroscience at the interdisciplinary neuroscience program at Georgetown University. Also, she's the author of the recently published book, The Fear Factor: How One's Emotion Connects Altruist psychopaths and everyone in between. Um, This is, Abby, this is so, uh, I think, powerful, um, too, to know that some of your research, it seems, is showing that as overall, we're becoming more altruistic. Isn't that right? This is something that really surprises a lot of people, that if you look at the numbers, uh, people are becoming more altruistic over time, especially towards strangers. 
Um, and uh, there's a whole lot of behaviors that bear this out. You're donating more money, even as a proportion of our incomes over time. Blood donations are increasing. Volunteering is increasing. Uh, even actions like sort of everyday helping of a stranger, like giving somebody directions, are increasing over time. It's really amazing. I mean, I guess in, unless, of course, they're immigrating to the country. Then we're not as nice. Well, <laughs> it's, this is also the really confounding problem is that people who we know have the capacity to be compassionate sometimes don't express mm. it. Um, and that has a lot to do with the way that we think of people as being members of our own group or members of other groups. And that's the fastest way to reduce how much we care about other people is to is to think about them as members of some group that's separate from our own group, you know, sort of permanently separate. Oh, interesting, yeah. And maybe and threatening to our own group especially. And and that really can do a real number on compassion, unfortunately. So then as long as I can somehow segregate you as not a member of my group, then you're yeah. foe and uh we we need to battle. Exactly. And this is so uh, horrifyingly easy to do in a lab. You can you know, bring people into the lab and, and just make up some arbitrary group. Say, you're in the blue group, and I'm going to show you some pictures of other people who are in the blue group and then the green group. And right, you just made these groups up. They mean nothing. And people will immediately start treating members of their own group better in the lab. They say they like them more. They're better people. They deserve more payment for participating in the study. It's really amazing. Wow. Yeah. It is, um, I mean, it's funny because I thought I've always kind of – and I think most people have thought that this is kind of a godly character trait, that uh, giving and serving and altruism is is kind of more about character. But you're really showing a lot of this is just – Pretty typical social psychology, and also um, uh, some of it is even, I guess, our physiology. Well, I think it's a really complex sort of stew. I would never uh, claim to have under uncovered all of the secrets of altruism. Um, and I would argue that people who engage in behavior regularly that helps other people even at a cost to themselves, I mean, that is character. Yeah. Um, but character itself comes from lots of really interesting, complex uh, origins, uh, some of which are almost certainly, you know, differences in the way that our brains respond to other people uh, and also learned tendencies to think of ourselves as members of sort of, you know, one whole human group or, or to wall ourselves off into a very small group of people and view outsiders as the enemy. Is is there um, – and I see this in uh, certain cultures, even in like LDS cultures, where it, maybe being more altruistic might um, actually become uh, – what's the word? Uh, you, may, you may be more gullible. You may be more taken advantage of. People may, because of your the group you're in or because you share similar faith, you might be more likely to be preyed upon. Well – you know, we have actually looked at the relationship between altruism and um, at least how people respond when they're treated unfairly. And we found that people who are altruists are not martyrs. They, If they're treated unfairly, they'll respond just like anybody else. Um, they won't just take it. But I, I do think there's probably some relationship between um, being an altruistic person and being trusting of other people, mm. believing that other people are probably good. Uh, and we actually have a little data that suggests that's true. And there probably that is one possible cost of having this sort of approach to the world is that there are going to be situations where some people are not good. And I've certainly learned that from my own research as well. 
Um, and, you know, it's possible that having a trusting outlook could be costly. Although I think in the long term, uh, lots of data suggests that in general, people benefit more by being trusting than from being mistrustful. Right. And I guess if you're an optimist and positive, you know, if you're taking advantage of, oh, well, you know, we yeah. learned. <laughs> so right. is life. <laughs> exactly. And when you're not a trusting person, you tend not to reach out to people and you, you, you sort of end up with a, with a smaller pie in the long run when you don't trust that people usually mean well. Mm. On the show every day, we, we like to tell a hero story um, to highlight that just some of these behaviors of people that will run into a fire or that will you know, raise money for charity or give a kidney um, is what, what – so in the end – and I guess it could be a variety of reasons, but mm-hmm. why why do some step up? And, and when somebody steps up to do something heroic or give an organ, does it always mean it's altruism and or can it be other motives, of course, or how, how do you decide and determine? Well, there are certainly many reasons that people can act kindly towards other people, which is a good thing, of course. Um, you know, one reason is that we learn that we should do so. This is something that we learn growing up, and we're rewarded for it as we um, get older, and that's a good thing. Um, and that's true, especially for behaviors that are sort of socially normative, like holding doors open for people or um, even giving change to people who ask for it on the street. When it comes to behaviors that are not normative, like giving a kidney away to a stranger, it's less likely that you would have learned to do something like that or been rewarded for it in the past. And that's, I think, where we really see differences in people's um, sort of, um, to some degree, innate or at least um, deeply rooted responses to other people's distress kick in so that people who have a more compassionate response are much more likely to donate to a kidney. I should mention, by the way, are you... you're in Utah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. So Utah actually has the highest rate of altruistic kidney donation in the country by a lot. Are you serious? We're yeah. just giving them away left and right. <laughs> yeah, literally. The state is renowned for it, actually. Unbelievable. And I, I mean, again, I don't know, but there may be a correlation mm-hmm. to the faith system here that people believe in, and um, you know, they're better off in the next world than this world or whatever. But no matter what it is, it's actually turning into action. Exactly. Exactly. It's really admirable. That is. It's impressive. And is, I I mean, I guess, too, um, there there could also be a social pressure to altruists. If you're if you're hanging out with a bunch of altruists, then, you know, when the when the building's on fire, everyone starts running towards it when I might be really wanting to run away from it. You know, there's really something to that, that there's this really important component of social norms in driving altruistic behavior, so that even people who have a naturally altruistic tendency are looking to other people for clues on what is a a normal way to behave. And the strongest example of this is blood donation, Hmm. Um, where in this country now, you know, blood donation, volunteering, for example, to donate blood, you don't get paid, you don't know who your blood is going to. This is just a thing people do. They especially do it after um, tragedies and and casualties. Every time you see a national disaster like uh, the recent shooting in Las Vegas, for example, uh, rates of blood donation spike all over the country, and especially where the disaster happened. This is a way that people sort of know to respond, that, that they can help other people, and it, it makes them feel good to give that way. Interesting. But it's not true everywhere, and it hasn't been true always. Uh, most places in the, in the world, uh, people do not donate blood to strangers on a volunteer basis. It's just not something that's done. And it doesn't mean that those people don't have the capacity to be compassionate. Of course, they do. 
Um, but the, the fact that, that donating blood is something that's so out of the ordinary is, is really impeding people from doing it. Wow. And do you, I mean, I, I guess when I look at it too, there, there's this, um, there's the altruistic side of it, but is there a way to somehow know what, like, you know, we might know 20% of people tend to be more prone to anxiety or depression or whatever the numbers are. Mm-hmm. Do we know a number of what percentage of people would meet your criteria of altruistic? Well, it probably depends on how strictly you want to define altruistic. So uh, if you were to define it extremely strictly, like had done something to save a stranger's life at some enormous risk to themselves, I wouldn't say a kidney donation is an enormous risk, but it, you know, it's, it is a risk. Yeah. Um, and, Painful <laughs> risk. Have, yeah. 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 You, I mean, you are, you're taking some risk in terms of long-term health outcomes, not, not enormous risks. And the people who have donated kidneys would be the first to say that. Um, and, uh, but it is certainly going to be uncomfortable and there's going to be a lot of time involved. And, you know, very few people engage in altruism like that. Um, but most people engage in altruism when it comes to donating blood or giving away their own money and things that are really seem to be done primarily because you want to help other people. And I would say um, a majority of the population engages in behaviors like that. It's probably a pretty small fraction of the population, thank goodness, uh, that doesn't seem to be strongly compassionate. Hmm. Yeah, we need to watch out for those. Yeah, fewer than a third of people. Oh, it really? Yeah. Fewer than a third is um, so. I guess overall, it, because it's it seems so pro-social behavior. It seems so um, so healthy for us in a variety of ways. What are some ways we can, as parents, um, maybe promote it, instill the the habit of uh, altruism in our, and maybe even somehow strengthen the amygdala and the other parts of the brain that that might turn off some of our fears. Well, I think the the best approaches are, um, first of all, when parents are warm and responsive, I think what that uh, teaches their children more than anything is that people are trustworthy. People are, can be trusted to be kind to one another uh, and to help one another out when they need it. And having that sort of trusting view of the world is really important, I think, for developing altruism later on. Um, in addition, uh, giving children the opportunity to help other people and to help other people not to get something out of it, but just to help them, because there's a pretty good evidence to suggest that it feels really different when you're helping other people just because you want to help them. That's the most rewarding kind of altruism that will make you more likely to want to do it again later. And many people who end up engaging in acts of extraordinary altruism, like donating a kidney, report that they've been longtime blood donors and often bone marrow donors. Hmm. So they've had that wonderful experience of giving just to give and know uh, what a rewarding thing that is. It's sort of a paradox, actually. You have to give just because you want to give to get the rewards of giving. You can't want the rewards. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> you ruin the gift. Interestingly, yeah. And also, interestingly, a reading seems to be uh, a practice that promotes uh, empathy and altruism. Um, there's something about the experience of, of reading that gives us exposure to other people's internal lives that seems to build empathy. How interesting is that reading connected to altruism? Wow. Abigail Marsh, thank you so much. What great insights um, into the, the gift, I think, of really of being human and, and giving back kindness of strangers. Uh, the name of the book is The Fear Factor, How One Emotion Connects Altruists, Psychopaths, and Everyone in Between. Abigail Marsh is her name, again, Assistant Professor of Psychology in the Interdisciplinary Neuroscience Program at Georgetown University. Ah, oh, good, to, good to be giving, right? And uh, good to know that, really, overall, 
the majority of people are good and giving. Rest easy, folks. Uh, you're, you're among those as well. We'll continue the journey and continue uh, learning to give to one another. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner lay ball lay ball welcome back friends you know um what great news that intrinsically inherently we are good people and want to do good and want to to be good and yet uh, so many of us seem to fight you know being good all the time it's it's a hard thing, and I'm I'm going through it in my own uh, life. Where somebody you trust, somebody you care about, somebody that you've you know had close to you crosses you, does something that is so ugh, messed up. How do you not let that affect you the rest of your life? How do you not? turn against society and turn against uh, humanity and think that everybody is just evil out to get you, to steal from you. How do you overcome that? Well, maybe one of the ways to do it is to, um, is to A, keep serving, keep giving, keep uh, recognizing that there are good in the world. And as uh, Abigail Marsh told us, only about a third of the people would have the antisocial behaviors of not giving. Um, two-thirds would be pro-social and pro-trying to care and trying to give. But it also one of the things I've learned is my need to give brings um, me peace personally. And my peace isn't contingent on other people giving to me necessarily. My peace is always contingent on me being a giver. So if I can continue to live the principles in my life that I believe in, I feel the peace even if other people around me might be harming me or trying to do things that harm me, I still can um, can reap what I sow. And if I sow service and caring and taking care of others, then I will reap the peace and the benefit of doing that. It doesn't mean I won't go through life without problems or without people harming me or without people trying to do something. It does mean, though, that I will have peace. And in the end, in this world, when we're all after so much, in the end, the only thing that really might matter is the fact that we have lived a life of integrity and of moral character, and we have peace. And so I just challenge us that don't let someone else's lack of morality or lack of values drive your lack of values. Don't use their logic to become your logic. Because they hurt you, it's okay for you to hurt them? No, that's against your value system. I call that logical force. We're not going to use the logic of another person to override our moral system. I'm going to use my moral system to decide what I do, how, do I, re- how I respond to the people around me that try to do harm. And how I respond with people that are harmful is with peace. doesn't mean I need to be taken advantage of. I still set boundaries, but I still live my principles period. Then I reap the peace. Ah, and it's nice. It's nice to know you can be at peace. You can, you can have what you can have, the gift of peace, which comes by simply being the good in the world. And that's why we do the show, to keep motivating you, to keep giving you the ideas, the research, the latest insight into how to be the good 
in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, lots of lots of potential problems when it comes to Twitter, other social media, and I guess they're trying to get on board to, to fix it, make it kinder and gentler. Yes, they're trying to, whatever they deem a nefarious actor, they're trying to find ways to weed them out. Weed them out! Make their social media platforms more hospitable to everyone. Mm. Facebook, beginning this week, will begin demoting individual posts from people and pages that use questionable tactics to get people to engage with their content. Examples of such content would be use of language such as like this if you were born in August oh, or yes. share this if you are a millennial. Uh-huh. Any of those sort of – That's a good – here's another one. I ate this for breakfast. <laughs> Get them out of here. So just the, there's they, – they've uh, seen those posts go a, a direction that they don't want to be associated with. Good, so good. they're trying to weed those out. Twitter, starting today, will enforce the stricter, more comprehensive rules that unveiled just a month ago. The new rules were added to cover areas Twitter has historically struggled to manage, such as accounts affiliated with organizations that promote hate and violence or those glorifying a violent act or figure. This has been a growing issue this year, and Twitter's real test will be in how it enforces those issues. They've sent letters to uh, uh, people who are now complaining because their verified checkmark yeah. that's on their account is being – they've been notified that it's either under review or it's going to be removed oh, because wow. of things they've posted. Boy, well, there goes there goes the two big parties in our, in our uh, political world. Right. And that, that's where it's coming down along – Political lines when people are accusing Twitter of, yeah, now uh, you're messing with the playing politics. Yeah, and Twitter's like we're just trying to take the people who are attacking oh, sure. others or putting out violent statements to have those people removed, so that it's. I mean, it, who wants to read that? No, unless you're following them. Well, I so. mean, unless you know the one hundredth of one percent that love right. It. So, and their verification system is kind of they they've admitted. That it's broken top to bottom. It needs to be fixed. And so they're reviewing who they verify. Is it a this is actually that person or this is a person of notoriety? What hmm. does that check mark mean? And yeah. they're trying to address that. That's good. I mean, yeah, that's finally. So especially like on some of those games that they, hey, if you've got brown eyes, check here. Yeah. Like me. Isn't that guess who? That's the board game. Guess who? Is it? I haven't played that game since I was six. 12. We need more board games during the show. That's what we're going to do from now on. More board games. This is the Mad Townsend Show. More joy ahead. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. It's Tuesday along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered getting you ready for the big holiday launch. Uh, sa- uh, Saturday lunch? Lunch? lunch, yeah, lunch. yeah. My my ears are burning. Well, you're, it's because your headphones are on. Oh, it's um, going to be uh, a big holiday, and Saturday will be. Uh, no, is that right? Sunday is Christmas Eve. That's right. Monday, Christmas Day. 
Mm. How exciting is this when you get to... Why, why is that exciting? Just the, that excitement in your kid's eyes. Did Santa come? Did Santa come? Oh, yeah. Or in my house, we all just sleep in. Terry's not getting anything for Christmas this year. Well, so he's a little upset. No, my, my wife was wrapping uh, gifts yesterday. So I walk into the room and I go, is it safe? Is it safe? She goes, oh, yeah, I finished yours a long time ago. Well, like, yeah, wow. Yeah. She goes, you're not getting much. I'm like, all right, great. I, I just dug some coal out from yeah. the fire. Yeah. I was like, wow. If that. <laughs> then, she, then we start discussing all the things I need to build. Oh, really? For Christmas. Like, like well, you're not that handy, are you? Oh, oh, I know what you mean. What do you mean? Well, there's certain things that well, need to be gifts. put together. You got to assemble right? them. Yes, I'm not out like you know, craftsmen in the. Like, when was the last time? What you going to build another deck? Well, I got some kits that I got to put together, and uh-huh. no, that's not some toys. That's and... hard. That, yeah. I mean, I and, would pull muscles. And back then there in the will day. be the toys that on Christmas Day I have to sit there and assemble for the child. Sure. Mm-hmm. While the other child plays with a box, don't you find we it? Bought her a bunch of stuff. Don't you find? I think Santa's a little lazy. Yeah, he should build more. He should assemble things. I mean, he just. I mean, granted, he has the entire planet to get to, but come on. But he also has, uh, you know, a group of really highly trained elves. Yeah. With little hands that can put things together really easily. My son informed me that when Santa gets to Australia, he gives his reindeer a rest and he uses special kangaroos to pull the sleigh. You're kidding. So my son told me this is new information to me. Wow. Well, of course they need a rest. They've been working all night. So he gets on a bunch of joeys? Apparently. Does joeys help him? Yeah. Uh, I just found out, by the way, that apparently male reindeer shed their uh, antlers. So if you— Most deer shed. Well, I mean, like, so if you— if you the You'll only, find them just on the trail if you go hiking. Okay, stick with me on this. Oh, I'm sorry. So <laughs> if you—so the only reindeer with antlers are the females— Oh, okay. So if you look at Santa's reindeer, they're all female, except for maybe really? Rudolph with his nose so bright. Couldn't any of those be implants? Yeah. What if they're just there for like show, like a hood ornament? You know, like a Do man. Do you think Santa would have his reindeer implanted with antlers? Sure. sure. Men get, seems so fake. Men get toupees. They get fake teeth. Mm-hmm. But Santa doesn't have fake facial hair. Mm. Are you sure? Have you given that thing a tug lately? No. No, I haven't. But thanks for asking. I would ask first. Yeah. In the current climate that we're in, you may want to ask before you try to no. tug on Santa's beard. No, Santa, yeah. Even as a kid, I knew that was a little creepy because something wasn't right because his lips would move, but his <laughs> facial hair wouldn't. I'm like, Mom, you can't see this. And she's like, sit on his lap. He's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, Mom, look at his facial hair. This isn't right. Anyway, he's coming, folks. Uh, we probably ought to start doing some updates on where, you know, what he's doing. I mean, there's got to be some news stories about what Santa is doing in preparation. No, he's kind of just hanging out. Maybe the elves are loading. He's probably taking a nap. But about by Thursday or Friday, he's got to be carbo loading, right? He's got to be sure. carb loading. Right. And then, I mean, I guess he can nap, but it won't help. A little bit. You just get that last couple minutes in, Every everything helps. He's got the entire night. Yeah. He's busy. He's a busy guy. My son can't wait to watch NORAD's website. Oh, yeah. Just follow follow Santa. Oh, yeah. It's... Sa- Santa's called him a couple times. Really? He got, got a postcard from Santa. Wow. You su- we submitted the Christmas list, and he got a postcard back saying, we'll, we'll check into these, but you need to do these three things How to did... stay on the, on the nice list. 
How did Santa? He's so connected to your son. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I asked like he called one night, and I'm like, "How did Santa get my cell phone number?" Really? And my son's like, "I don't know. He's Santa." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's crazy." That is amazing. Yeah, he knows his name and everything. That is what a neat Santa. I mean, when I was young, you wouldn't, you were never sure, right? Because we didn't have elves sitting on shelves. Mm. We didn't have any connection to Old Saint Nick. You just wrote a letter. And then you'd hope he'd show. Did the elf on the <sighs> shelf ever mysteriously move to a different part of the house? Did you have an elf on the shelf? When never. You were going? No. Never. No, our elf, in fact, we have a very lazy elf. We have one, but he doesn't seem to move much. Hmm. Hmm. And it's like, it's like he just is lazy. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of sad for our kids because it'd be fun if he could like show up in the kitchen one morning or in the fridge. Fun yeah. or creepy? Well, ours just never moves. I think he may have pulled his back out. Ooh. His little elf on the shelf back. So is your home like a maybe like retirement for him? Maybe. You just kind of he's maybe done his yeah. service and yeah. this is kind of a cushy job to kind of finish things uh-huh. off. I think you want that elf to stay on the shelf because if that elf starts moving on its own, it's time to move. No, totally. It's time to get out of that house. Oh, I know what it is. A couple of years ago we had mice. And mm. we were catching him left and right. And I think he got weirded out by that. Mm. And ever since then, he just is either in a box in our basement. I don't know. Or he left. I can never tell where he goes. Right. And then, But he comes out around Christmas time and just sits on the mantle. Kind of with that judgmental, mm-hmm. self-righteous look. Yeah. He knows better. Yeah, he does. You're not measuring up, Matt. Ah, it's hard to be an adult in today's world. Hey, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what else should we be worried about other than the elf on a shelf? At least three people killed. More than 100 were injured when a speeding Amtrak train derailed and plunged off an overpass in Washington State Monday morning. Officials initially described six people as dead, but lowered that total Monday evening. Four of the hospitalized were critically injured, the Seattle Times reports. Some commuters on the highway beneath the overpass were also injured, but none were killed. Thirteen of the train's 14 cars slipped off the track, some colliding with the highway below. The train was on the inaugural run of a new route between Portland and Seattle, traveling 81 miles per hour close to its top speed at the time of the derailment. It's unknown what caused the train to leave the tracks. One of the contributing factors is it should have been going 30 miles an hour when it went Uh. 80 miles an hour. And the positive train yeah. braking system wasn't turned on, apparently, is what some of the reports are saying now. So. See, but ah, the money that was spent, $180 million to create the line that, um, that he then, they jumped the track. But in the end, it was to save 10 minutes on commuting. And now it's, you've lost, I'm sure, $100 million worth of train. Right. It's a lot of train. Unbelievable. The Senate Intelligence Committee has ordered members of the Green Party's presidential candidate Jill Stein's campaign to hand over documents related to the committee's investigation on Russian interference in the 2016 election. This out of BuzzFeed. Uh, Senate Intelligence Committee Chair Richard Burr told BuzzFeed that Stein was being investigated for potential collusion with the Russians. During her campaign, Stein came under scrutiny for appearing at a Moscow dinner hosted by the state-funded Russian news outlet RT. Stein sat at a table with Russian President Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump's then-National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Oh, that table. Stein says she did not know uh, she would be seated near Flynn or Putin and that she barely spoke with her Russian hosts. 
The former uh, Stein spokesman said Stein would publicly release the document she hands over to the Senate committee. So she'll hand it to the committee and make wow. it public. She's under investigation. Everybody. Was Hillary Clinton at that table? No. Man, how come everybody's getting thrown into this but Hillary? Come on. She, she may have had better back channels than everybody yeah, else. Nobody could back channel better than the Clintons. The Trump judicial nominee, whose embarrassing Senate hearing went viral last oh, week, wow. this has, was... has withdrawn his name from consideration over the fallout. Hovering uh, the Post reports, Matthew Peterson, currently a member of the Federal Elections Commission, was selected by Donald uh, President Trump for a uh, lifetime appointment to the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia, but when his lack of qualifications and stunning ignorance of basic legal terms were called uh, out by Senator John Kennedy, he became the subject of widespread mockery. That was the most cringe-worthy five minutes I've ever watched. Did you see where he graduated from? No. He got his associates at Utah Valley College, he got his bachelor's from BYU, and then he got his law degree from the University of Virginia. Hmm. Are you serious? And so, then So he came here. So, Mr. Peterson, have you ever stepped into a courtroom? Nope. No. No, it really wasn't no. part of my job. Well, we did do a tour on our scout troop. I used to love night court. <laughs> it, was, it was like, so do you, uh, how many cases have you tried as an attorney? No. How many civil cases? None. How many criminal? None. I've how, been civil. How many depositions have you ever done in your life? Oh, I've done, I've done some when I was... Uh, an associate, an associate, and he goes less than ten, uh, more than five. Uh. Yeah, about that. <laughs> there is there. a number assigned to how many I've performed. It was pretty bad. By the way, that Kennedy was a, that was great preparation for this right. for this uh, interview. And that Kennedy's a Republican from Louisiana. Oh, he was. Yeah, that wasn't a Democrat making a point. That was a Republican <laughs> making a point. Like we can't put people on the bench that have no business being on the bench. But he's a nice guy. Sure, probably. Honestly, he he actually is really a nice guy because then as soon as he was humiliated, he pulled himself out. Well, no, because he he was – it was last week that video came out and then yesterday he pulled his name out. So So, I mean – A week of it. But how many times – In the timeline of politics, that was fast. Well, we have people who have sexually harassed others that are like, I'm not sure that I'm done for another year. Right. This guy at least jumped. At least he jumped. So, yeah. Um, but he's one of those that the uh, the American Bar Association said it was wholly unqualified for the job. And he's now like the third person, right? That they've said, mm. yeah, yeah. It, it seems like you ought to be able to get some attorneys that have tried cases, right? That are Republicans. Throw them up there. So, that have done a deposition. The video's interesting. I my wife works in a law office, basically, and uh, I asked her. This might be a fun little game to play, see who, how many people here could actually do that. And she says, it's the whole office. They all know this stuff. Because they, their <laughs> office, they, they, they only pick the people that finish in the top 10 yeah. of the class type of thing. So I uh, like that he did it, too. I, I, I applaud Mr. Kennedy from the GOP right. saying no. Were the there, other, there is a standard here. There's been a couple others that just sort of pushed on through, yeah. even though they obviously they weren't. They had no experience in right. court. They haven't done this type of thing. And this guy finally Put went, okay. values first. Good. And finally, a dead Christmas tree at the Rhode Island State House has been replaced oh. or, or will be replaced. Governor Gina Romanato said on Monday that her new tree, that the new tree is coming after the first one dried up and dropped piles of needles more than a week before Christmas. She told reporters her staff planned to switch as soon as possible. Uh, the governor said she wants people to know, don't worry. 
We'll get a new tree. The move comes three days after the Associated Press reported Friday on the tree's sorry condition, including bare branches and needles that dropped instantly when touched. The AP article prompted a local tree farmer to donate a new tree. Yeah, you got yourself a dry tree there. (laughs) It looks like Charlie Brown's tree, except it's like 20 feet tall. (laughs) Wow. So luckily, uh, someone's going to donate one. Yeah. The the workers inside the, the... Capitol walked up and pushed the tree, and mm-hmm. it just snapped and fell over. Yeah. Just horrible. In my office, um, we about a week ago got the tree out to set it up at my office, and then we let it sit there for like three more days. Then you get to this tipping point where it's like, is it even worth putting up anymore? Right. You're too far into Christmas. And so then we just put it back on the shelf. Right. You got to wait. <laughs> That's why you wait till Star Wars. Uh. Then start worrying about Christmas. At that point, you're like, somehow ah, we're too far gone to actually go through the bother. Somehow we're going to have to fix this in you because, you know, normally Christmas hmm. has nothing to do with Star Wars. Yes, but the recent history, it has, like three years in a row. Yeah, now, but, and ne- it will continue ne- on that way, too. Next year, the Han Solo movie comes out in May. <gasps> there is no Christmas Star Wars. That would Wars. be my birthday then. Right. So, so we'll do it for my birthday. Uh-huh. Wow, but I do believe there's a DC Comics movie coming out uh, we'll in be December, fine. so Christmas will be after, say, Aquaman or whatever the movie. No, is. we we need to start in May. It sounds like Christmas starts in May. If Star Wars is the new gauge. Nah, it's a new year. We measure when we get ready for Christmas. It's a new that year. It's May. Everything changes. Why is Star Wars supplanting all of the other great birthdays? Because it's it's just no, it's still it's just a societal shift when the movie comes out. Is know, it coinciding but... with May the fourth? I have to look at the date. It hmm. might be. What what happened on May the fourth? May the fourth be with you. Did, did you get that? Man? Yeah. My, uh, how about this one? May the eighth be my birthday. <gasps> Doesn't mm. that ring more true than May the fourth? I'll, be I'll with think you? about it. I'll think about it. May the fourth be with you. It's yeah, reminds me a little bit of Jabba Fett. I or, have uh, my calendar has Jabba Fett. Not, what's his name? What? What's the guy's name? Jabba the Hutt or Boba Fett? No, neither Come of those. On. Neither of those. Here's the problem. Flappy tongue. Who's the guy that with flappy tongue in Star Wars? Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks. So the Star Wars next Star Wars movie comes out the 26th of May 2018. Ah, right. May the fourth would have been a great tie-in for that yeah, movie. Sure. Except that's when the next Avengers movie comes out. Ah. So they're a little busy that weekend. See, Avengers still there, Thunder. So Disney is going to own May, right? You have the Avengers at the first of the month and Star Wars at the end of the month. I'm worried about the dwarves. Which ones? No one's even talking about them anymore. Oh, Snow White? They need to have they're a out show, there. but they need a show where the dwarves, the dwarves take on the Avengers. Nah, that's, yeah. Sleepy would just battle to the lean death. over and be kind of no, but Sleepy's the sleeper. He's the one you don't think is going to do anything. And then they'll try doing like beard tricks and like, come on, yeah, nobody wants to see that. They want to see people flying around and lasers. Oh boy, maybe a green rage monster. Yeah, oh, just mix boy. one in. Come on, <laughs> we're losing it. Hey, let's get to uh, the empty news headlines with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. The empty Jeff- news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. Okay, so for this segment, we've got two crooks, and for the other one, we'll do uh, two dog stories. Two crooks and a baby. Yes. One of my favorite Starring shows. Ted Danson. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is sad, but very it's a very important lesson. So if nothing else, these crooks go away in cuffs, but also go away with a wonderful lesson. Okay, good. Okay. Lessons are important. There's a Milwaukee or Milwaukee prosecutor say a man who led police on a high-speed chase 
told arresting officers he crashed his minivan because he became distracted checking his cell phone for directions. Now you need directions, though. So uh, let's see. This this uh, criminal complaint was released Friday. Twenty year old Logan Michael Brandenburg made the comment unsolicited. Well, he, you just need to shut your mouth. His lawyer is like, was being transported from a hospital to the county jail. Prosecutors say Brandenburg told officers he had smoked marijuana and was on probation. So a fight or flight mentality kicked in when a West Allis uh, police officer attempted to pull him over on November 19th. Authorities say the chase reached speeds of 100 miles oh, per hour brother. and involved four different police departments before Brandenburg's minivan jumped a curb and plunged down an embankment. Yeah, you know, I was just smoking the reefer, and then <laughs> I just had my fight or flight kick in, so I just felt like I needed to get away from you guys. Oh, but, so you were smoking illegal drugs? Oh, yeah, like crazy. But I was I was trying to look up directions. I was trying to be responsible. <laughs> so here's crazy. another one, and uh, actually, this one involves Shik Shumway. Really? He's not, he's not the crook, Oh, we'll get to that in a second. Good. So an alleged uh, burger, burger, <laughs> burglar, <laughs> the hamburglar, uh, no, an alleged burglar dubbed criminal claws didn't come down the chimney with, oh, a, with a bound when he tried a Santa-like entry into a Northern California business. Citrus Heights police got a 911 call from a man saying he was stuck in the chimney of a business. <laughs> Turns out Jesse Barubi or Barube uh, tried to sneak into the business by sliding down the chimney, but he became lodged. <laughs> Although he wasn't able to get out, Barube could move freely enough to call for help. Officers Luckily, and fire- he had a phone. Exactly. Officers and firefighters used special equipment to get Barube out of the chimney. Fortunately, he was not hurt. He was arrested for burglary and even had his mugshot tarnished in ashes and soot. No word if his getaway vehicle was pulled by eight reindeer. Uh. <laughs> eight, uh, eight tiny um, reindeer. Reindeer without their antlers. Eight male reindeer because they're either male. Mm-hmm. The or female, female reindeer have antlers. The males have implants. They've dropped theirs. So you're not going to believe this. Okay. But before the police and firefighters showed up, Shik Shumway was on the scene. Our reporter, Shik Shumway. And happened to get a little bit of audio from this guy as he was stuck in the chimney. Attaboy, Shik. Sir, can you tell us how you got into this mess? Children in today's world are exposed to cyberbullying, terrorist attacks on the news, violent video games, uh, tragedies, as we're hearing recently, and much, much more. Studies show that kids are 40% less empathetic than they were 30 years ago. Is the world uh, that they live in today to blame? 
Is it about the media? Is it about all of this technology we're using? What is the cause of the loss of empathy? Joining us to discuss it is Michelle Borba, who is an expert on parenting. She's also an award-winning author and a chi- on, uh, an expert on child and bullying and, um, and how to help our families and kids through that. Michelle is, um, has written a book. Um, her most recent book is Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. And we're honored to have you here today, Michelle. Thank you for your time. Oh, you are so welcome, and I am concerned just listening to how you describe today's kids. I mean, would you want to get out of bed if you were a child? No, it seems so traumatic. And yeah. and so is it is it true? I guess empathy's dropping. They're becoming less and less uh, feeling, less and less caring. Is that right? Yes, and we do know that from 72 different studies who have been looking at thousands of teens, actually hundreds of thousands of teens of incoming college freshmen, over the last 30 years, who have been given a little narcissism personality test as they enter Ivy League to community college across the U.S. Like if you saw somebody looking distressed, how likely would you be to step in? Or when you see somebody who's been treated unfairly, how likely would you be to walk in and stand up for them? But what we saw is around the year 2000 is when the dip really started. It's a 40% dip, and it's still in a free fall. But at the same time, narcissism is going up 58%. So when self-absorption goes up, that kills empathy, which goes down. Right. Your next question is what's going on, a yeah. combination of factors that we can discuss. Talk about, so narcissism's going up. And by the way, how ironic we live in the selfie world. So um, yeah. I'm sure these parallel some way or another. So as narcissism goes up, uh, empathy and caring, I guess, of others goes down. What are you seeing? What's driving these trends? Well, what we looked at, when I saw that statistic, that's what I wrote the book on selfie, but I figured it was going to be totally off because they're taking self-images of themselves all day long, and that's the cause. But I thought it was a combination of factors, but they're all ones that are kind of uh, not a natural disaster, but ones that the human cause that can be turned around. And it started around the year 2000 when our kids became very plugged in. Research says the more plugged in you are, the more you look at a screen, the lower your emotional literacy scores go. Oh, daddy looks sad and she looks upset. You don't learn it circling an emoji. And emotional literacy is the gateway to empathy. So step one is the longer you look at a screen, particularly with today's digital natives, the lower their empathy scores are going. That's one factor, but it's not the only. What we do know is the second thing is that grades, rank, and score took precedence over kindness, caring, and justice in how we raised our children. We know that from a very huge widespread study done by Harvard who asked teens what's most important in your house. Uh, in terms of the messages that your your parents are giving you. And at the top of the list, 80% of kids said it's all about the grade. What was tanking was caring and kind. And our, the takeaway there is when your kids come home from school, don't, don't be so quick to say what you get. Every once in a while add what kind of thing did you do hmm. because those messages do seep in. Third one is, yes, our children's empathy is starting to dwindle when we see all of those horrible late-breaking studies that are coming out, very, very graphic images. In the olden days, when we were growing up, our parents could turn off the TV, but you know, seven-year-olds are now seeing them live on a cell phone. So there's, there's another point to that is uh, you can't protect your kids as they go out the door from those images, but you can start doing the opposite. 
And I would suggest the number one thing is start sending your children good news images on their texts. Or when they come home from school, go to the back pages of your newspaper. Oh, they're loaded with wonderful stories about real kids who are doing glorious things in the real world. And they're ordinary kids doing extraordinary things. But talk about those at dinner time because they're known to be elevating images. And elevating images actually elevate your heart. The good news is, look, there's a lot of phenomenal new research that supports that empathy can be cultivated. There's simple little no-cost ways that we can do it as a family, but we need to be a little more intentional about it, and maybe that's what we're doing wrong. Yeah. No, and I, I really like that idea um, of going to the back of the the newspaper, going to the back of the magazines. That's kind of where we go for our content for our show because it is so heavy um, to just keep talking about the dark and the, and the heavy yeah. stuff. More with Michelle Borba and her book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. And we're going to be learning how to create and, uh, and maybe uh, guide our children to being more empathetic. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We are back with uh, internationally renowned educator, award-winning author, and parenting, child, and bullying expert Michelle Borba talking about her newest book, Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. Uh, Michelle, thank you again for being with us. Oh, you're so welcome. When we talk about empathy, um, I, I guess maybe define for us what is uh is an empathic kid or an empathetic child and and what advantage does it give them in this crazy selfish world oh thank you for that because it's a misnomer that it's soft and fluffy yeah when in reality empathy is actually transformational it's uh, one of the top employability factors right now in fact 20% of fortune 500 companies are giving empathy training to millennials because they're so low in it so Empathy is this glorious capacity to feel with another person. And when you feel with the person or you understand where the person is coming from, that's what boosts a child's perspective-taking ability. They understand where the other person is. Conflicts are reduced. Test scores actually go up. Hmm. Mental health actually improves. Stress goes down. Uh, what we've got to keep in mind is the other side of the report card does matter, and empathy is a, just a glorious capacity because it actually helps your child be a happier human being. And the best news is they're already hardwired for it. They arrive wanting to care. We just need to tune it up. Oh, that's great. I mean, really, they, I mean, we, we, we've talked about uh, – uh, what do they call the the research about monkeys and how we um, we have mirror neurons and we're very normally when someone else is crying, we might be more likely to cry when someone trips. We're more likely to startle. I mean, we're tied to people deeply. And is that empathy? Is it just the ability, the connection to another person where we can we actually are trying to feel and relate to them from their frame of reference? Yes. And what we do know is exactly what you just said. We need each other. Relationships are what make us the healthiest and the happiest. And relationships of that face-to-face type that we used to have in the olden days are diminishing. We're a very plugged-in society where you walk into a restaurant and everybody's plugged in and nobody's looking at each other. And it becomes a, a real detriment to our children. It's one of the reasons we're also seeing at a stark, very disturbing rise in depression, stress, and anxiety 
nowhere else in the world are teens, for instance, as, as depressed as our own kids are. So it means just take it back. We, we also know one other little thing, that empathy is made up of nine habits, and they're all teachable. So the goal is, yes, for a child to be able to feel with another person, but that isn't enough. What we want the child to be able to do is other kinds of things along the way, and that's what Unselfie is. It's looking at what are these nine habits that really are our parenting plan from birth to when they finally leave the door. We want them to have a moral identity so they see themselves as a caring person, and we can start praising them for character traits, not just that's a wonderful grade you got, but thank you for being so kind or so helping. That moral identity will start pushing them to be more pro-social. Perspective taking, how would you feel if that happened to you? What does that person need in order to feel better? It's a wonderful, wonderful trait that is the top employability factor. That's the cognitive side of empathy. Hmm. Moral imagination, best thing you can do during the holidays, get out those books and wonderful films that make you cry and watch them with your children. Because moral imagination, journeying into another world, actually is another way to cultivate empathy. Read Charlotte's Web, read Stone Fox, get the Kleenex, look at Dunkirk with your children, and just have those conversations because not only do they build boost memories, they actually, now we know, so boost that part of the brain where compassion is and light it up. What a great concept that is. It, it really so is. There's a number of habits, and they're so simple. They don't take an app, and they don't take a tutor. They just take intentionality. Well, and right there, you went through what I sensed were four or so of the I'm, a, I'm, I'm believing the habits, and and really each one of them, I'm sure in the book you cover, they're they're robust. There's a lot of stuff you can learn about taking the perspective of another and stepping into their shoes. Um, I guess some of this is just intentionally putting empathy on the um, on the shelf, where and even in a in a place of honor on the shelf, instead of kind of as the squishy like you said earlier. Sometimes we just think it's such a squishy, wishy-washy thing. It's not like a state championship, Michelle. Yeah, uh, I think that's the, the thing. You've just nailed it. We have put it on the back burner, and as a result, our children's scores and ability to empathize with others continues to go down. And it's not squishy because the eight habits are encouraged, and that's what we're aiming for. When you have those preceding habits that are all teachable and simple, you now have as a child habit eight who's more likely to step in and act out. This is like the most amazing habit because the habit nine is an altruistic leader, a child who wants to make the world a better place, who wants to make a difference, who is the one who has a voice to step in and speak out. And it certainly doesn't mean that we don't want a child who's smart and does well in school. But there has to be a balance along the way where we need to reprioritize a child's heart so they're smart and good, and that's the optimum child. Yeah, no, that's great stuff. Well, we we appreciate you, Michelle. This is great work, and um, I feel like we could just talk to you forever about these these great skills. Um, I, I guess as we wrap up, let's just ask you one more question. What would you say is the one thing, if there's just one thing every parent listening could do today that would get their child a little more tuned in or attuned to their empathetic side, what would that one thing be? Model it yourself. We always point to the kids where all the research I looked at is the kids who were most empathetic also it was how I was raised. And I'd say, well, how were you raised? Well, my dad always modeled it. He was so kind. Or my mom always expected it. So start by not asking your kids to be empathetic. 
tune it in your own self so your children see you. They are little copycats. They have video camera recorders inside them. And right now they are seeing, frankly, a lot of adults behaving very, very badly. What they desperately need are people who act right, who are good, who are noble, and there's nobody better than parents to start a whole brigade going. So our children do turn out to have that heart. Good stuff. Michelle Borba, thank you so much for uh, your insight on uh, empathy and the book, again, Unselfie. Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in Our All About Me World. You can also go to Michelle's website, michelleborba.com, to find out more also about bullying. She's got a wonderful blog and articles there as well. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. To the program, Dr. Matt here. It's time to get back to our empty news category with uh, our good friend, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. I think you should do the whole show as Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell. (laughs) I wish I, I don't actually ever work on my impressions. Really? So in my head, that wasn't Howard Cosell. Hmm. That was some iteration of a guy named Jaward Kozel. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Do you think... People like that that are constantly mimicked set out to say, now maybe I should, if I talk like this, then people will imitate <laughs> well, me. They will listen to what I say. It'll strengthen my brand. Exactly. See, but you make money doing voices. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. I have not been paid to do Howard Cosell yet. Well, let's get on it. Actually, I'm doing it right now and I'm being paid, so in a way, I am. Hold on. They started paying you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's get to that. Yes. So um, this one's kind of fun. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of chaos that goes on at the airport anyway, right? Oh, yeah. What with power lines going and power going out, right? And kids People screaming. People pulled off of an airplane, beat up, chased. Huge lines. Well, uh, police pursued a runaway pooch for several hours outside of Boston's Logan International Airport (laughs) after he escaped from his pet carrier Friday following a long flight. Here, boy. He would be restless after a super long... Oh, yeah, you got to stretch your legs. Yeah. Ronan, a two-year-old German shepherd, was shepherd was on a flight from California and was being picked up by his new owner, Nick Kniff, who opened the crate to put his leash on, but the restless Ronan bolted... Police, Mr. Kniff, and his eight-year-old son, James, tried everything to get Ronan to return until he finally was persuaded by the smell of bacon and sausage, oh, according to the Boston It's always Blue. bacon. Can you imagine that, where uh, your dad is trying to get you excited for your new Christmas present? All right, son, you're going to love this. It's going to be great. And there it goes. And, there, and you're watching it run around the tarmac. Yeah. By the way, why aren't police using more bacon and um, sausage smells to subdue criminals? That is You a don't great... need to tase them anymore. Oh, yeah. Just squirt them with some bacon grease. Yeah. See, now, if this were a human, people would have no problem joking about, yeah. oh, you should have just tase that person, you yeah. know? But not a puppy. Not a doggy. Right. You can't do that. Mm-mm. You can't even mention no, tase and dog in the same no. sentence. Mm-mm. Yeah. Dogs are cute. So speaking of not tasing, but speaking of dogs, mm-hmm. uh, you have had kids, and I'm sure if you've had kids, you've lost pacifiers. Oh, yeah. 
They get everywhere. I mean, they go behind the crib. They get under the couch. We used to chain. We used to chain. We used to lash ours to like the to something that sure know, she wouldn't lose the yeah. binky. Sometimes it's like in their neck fat. Uh-huh, you yeah. find the binky. Yeah. Well, um, the uh, the owners of this dog were wondering what was going fat. what was going on. They had a nauseous pooch, so they took her oh, to no. the vet. And uh, their hunch was confirmed. Dovey, that's the dog's name, <laughs> had 21 pacifiers lodged in her stomach. No way. Yeah, the couple told the veterinarian uh, Dovey had slowed her eating and was vomiting for a few days. But other than that, they thought she seemed fine. The veterinarian thought they were only there were only seven to nine pacifiers in Dovey's stomach, but the surgery proved otherwise. Oh, my word. They're too big to go through the GI tract, so we decided we had to open her up and get them out, he says. How'd they go down the throat? I don't know. It's a great question. Dovey one Kenobi. They just kept coming out, and we ended up with 21 of them. Dovey is on the mend and has already gone home. We've had corn cobs... And socks and panties and things like that, but never 21 binkies. Bah! The vet cautioned pet owners in a recent Facebook post <laughs> that dogs will eat anything, anytime, and at any age. Wow. It's probably a big dog. So if you've misplaced something this Christmas, if you can't find that new Blame the dog. Apple Watch that you got, yeah. it's the dog. But a binky? Yeah. I mean, binkies? They're, they're very comforting. And honestly, okay, honestly, I don't think we ever bought 23 binkies total for our six children. Well, maybe not at one time, but no. when they keep go, no. going missing, no, but we you never, keep buying them. But we never lost a lot of binkies. Never that many? Well, we always had a little tie to it. So, I mean, they would just clip l- on let me give you an example. Shirt. You know, you, sometimes you just want to have more... On hand in case they do go missing or in case you run out. Like, I think it's a good idea to have three jars of nacho cheese at the ready. So if you're, you know, just let's say you're at a party and you run out of cheese, you want to have more on hand at a moment's notice. No, but how many times have we said, hey, does anybody have any nacho cheese? And you're like, I got two. Or let's say I my chip hits the bottom of the nacho cheese jar. Let's say that. But and, and let's say I'm not finished eating nachos. Then, I want to have more on hand right then and there. Yeah. Because there's nothing worse than having in your mind, I'm going to have nachos when I get home. You open the fridge. There's no nacho cheese. Hey, do you guys have a dog? No. Because maybe you ought to check its gut. Maybe it's eating all your nacho cheese. We don't. Maybe that dog needs to be, you know. Usually if I go home and discover that the nacho cheese is missing, it's in my stomach. Yeah. Well, let's. Cut you open, see what's going on there. <laughs> that would be scary. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to teach your children that everything's just disposable either. You know, binkies don't grow on trees. Just letting you. You're know. right. So now that you mention it, you're we, right. We teach our kids to watch after their binky, and we never had a dog or a cat. Ah, uh, interesting. Now, dogs, by the way, so loving, but apparently not very smart. 23 binkies okay see the lessons you learn on the matt townsend show straight ahead we'll continue the education process this is the the show where you learn to live longer love stronger and lead a healthier life 
Welcome back, friends. You know, one of the things we got to get to, because the weather seems a little weird. It seems not quite Christmassy. Right. At least in Utah. Soon. It seems more like forest fires in California. This may not help them much. Okay. So give us the weather update for the holidays. Weather update. If you check out your any trusty weather app. Yeah, which you are for, on nonstop all right, day. But, but you specifically, later this week... Uh, right around Christmas, temperatures are going to drop to like 14, Ooh, down to the single digits for the lows. Okay. The highs will be around the 20s. Is that just in the inner mountain area, or is that nationwide? No, it says if you're planning on celebrating Christmas in the upper Midwest or the Dakotas this year, you're going to need to get a thicker coat. Really? A true Arctic air mass. Arctic air mass. <laughs> the coldest of the season so far, projected to swirl down from the far north, crossing the U.S. border with Canada as early as Wednesday and potentially oozing its way all the way down to Texas Ugh. and east to New York. Right now, however, it appears the East Coast may escape the worst of the cold, as least initially. The precise details of this cold snap are still a bit fuzzy, specifically concerning whether a winter storm develops along the boundary separating the frigid air from the more seasonable temperatures. Uh. It's conceivable that areas from Texas to New England could have a white or icy Christmas this year Though this won't become clear for another few days. I'm dreaming of a wide or icy Christmas. This may be that polar vortex we've talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. Denver, Christmas Eve, could see temperatures as cold as 30 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit below average. Wow. 30 to 40 degrees below average. According to computer modeling, on Christmas Day itself, the core of the coldest air may be located over big cities of the Midwest, including Minneapolis, Milwaukee, and Chicago, while low temperatures may plunge below zero. This cold snap is not likely to break many records in parts because of the lack of widespread snow cover across the U.S., which would drop the temperature even lower. We're going to be at negative three on Saturday. Yes. Okay, that just made my plans. I Apparently, I am going south to southern Utah for the holidays. Yeah. After the holidays. Wow, that is... It's going to get really cold. So that means ice storms in some places. That means you're going to be bogged down. That means you better make sure your power's working. Yep, bundle up. Power lines will be going down in Missouri. Mm. And more news. Okay. This is maybe an early Christmas for Jeff. Oh, huh? good. NBC, NBC is kicking around the idea of a uh, reboot of The Office. Oh, yeah. For the 2018-2019 really? TV season. Ah, uh, that's risky. I'm well, guessing it's Steve Carell-less. Yes, he will not be <sighs> the branch manager. Dwight, Ma- Dwight will be the branch manager. It doesn't say if anybody from the former show will be involved. Just that they're thinking they saw the success they're having with a Will and Grace that's come back. A lot of people are watching yeah. that show. Yeah, but Will and looking... Grace was gone for a decade or so. Right. ABC is bringing back Roseanne here in the next month or two. Yeah. Some NBC's like, well, people like The Office. Maybe we can bring it back. I think I would be more on board for a Parks and Rec reboot. Me too. I like both of them. But I don't know that you can, you know, put the magic back in the bottle. There you go. That genie's out. That genie's out. Thank you. Let's see. Who is that? Johnny Carson. Okay. It almost sounded like Casey Casey. Doing a little Johnny Carson. That was Johnny Carson? Yes. Hmm. Yes. No. Still, yes. Still Casey Kasem trying to do Scooby-Doo. No. Who is the sports guy that says, yes, yes, Al, Marv yes. Albert. Marv Albert. Yes. It sounded see, more like that than that's, Johnny That's the difference is that I don't care who they sound like. I just do the voice. You know, I'm not here to archive them. 
archive. You actually <laughs> know who they are. I don't. I just. So you just did. You just illustrated alternative facts of voices. Yeah. Alternative mm-hmm. facts. Thanks. More joy straight ahead. Hey, next hour, we're going to be talking about happy holiday eating with Dr. Ron Hager. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, have a happy holidays. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Tuesday to you. Is it Tuesday? Are you doing your Johnny Carson again? No. That's just me amazed that it's Tuesday. And again, Merry Christmas. As we're now officially celebrating the holiday. Again, because you think, because we, we've seen this, the Star Wars movie. Yeah, we're done. Now we can start the holiday. But Full speed ahead. The holiday predates all Star Wars movies. And the reason for the season has very little to do with Jedi Force, but another force. Hmm. What is it? If you don't know, then I can't tell you. Wow. Hmm. Sounds kind of selfish. <laughs> kind of does, doesn't it? Hey, we've got uh, we've got a great show, lot to cover today. Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us talking about happy holiday eating versus mm. unhappy right. holiday eating. True. Um, Jeff, by the way, totally blown his diet. Uh, we went to a company party the other day. You watched him just mow through like five hot dogs. Yeah, holy cow. Yeah. He, he put the J in the J-dog. Hmm. I knew I was kind of embarrassed when Matt said, I think you've had enough. Yeah. And I, I like looked over at him and with pieces of hot dog flying mm-hmm. out of yeah. my mouth, they said, I'll tell you what I've had enough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and you remember, I'm like, whoa, Nelly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was a hard stop right there. Hmm. But uh, I had to get fueled up for the karaoke. Yeah, but you didn't do it. Well, you just I was too there. full from the hot dogs. Well, obviously. Yeah. And and he didn't even stand up and do the Shania Twain. Feel like a woman? Feel like a woman yeah. song. That's that's his go-to karaoke song. There was enough yeah. coverage, I felt, for that song between the guy and, and the girl. Yeah. the And and then there could have been you. Hmm. But you, you couldn't have got up there and said, I feel like a woman. You would have said, I feel like a J-Dog hot dog. With yeah. some nacho cheese on it and chocolate Ooh, cake. That would be good. Strawberry ice cream and cherry Coke. And popcorn. And popcorn. And then pizza once I got home. Times two plus pizza. Wow. Yeah. Calorie bomber. Totally. There, yeah. he, it was one Trump meal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when you put it in perspective, yes, yeah. it was. Twice. I mean, twenty-four. it was two Trump meals, 2,400 calories times two. But he split it up between like a lunch and a dinner. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think I think he kept going all day. You think so? Hmm. Yeah, he's more of a grazer when it comes to mm-hmm. eating. He just kind of yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, so much to cover. So Ron will be helping us have uh, healthier 
eating habits over the holidays. Uh, also, we've got to cover just the other headlines, the tragedy that's going on um, in Washington state, that uh, derailment of an Amtrak train. So we'll turn over the headlines to Terry South. What uh, what updates, what else should we know, Terry, about what's going on in the news? The investigation continues. There's the uh, National Tra- uh, Transit Board is sending 10 investigators out to the, uh, the train wreck site near Seattle as they're trying to figure out what happened is this train. It looks like it was going, it was an Amtrak train on its uh, inaugural Run. Yeah, it was supposed to be a high speed run. train that runs between uh, Portland and Seattle. It was going 80 miles an hour oh. around a curve. It should have been going 30 miles per hour around. There was a braking system, apparently, uh. wasn't active that should have been. So there's all, all sorts of questions. There's uh, over 100 people who were hospitalized, three people confirmed dead as they continue to uh, clean up from this accident. They now have yesterday uh, morning. cranes on the scene and they're removing the cars one by one. Unbelievable. Brand new train. Um, in other news, the United States vetoed a United Nations Security Council vote Monday that would have voided the Trump administration's decision earlier this month to recognize Jerusalem as a capital of Israel. That's out oh. of the Associated Press. Fourteen other council members voted in approval of the resolution okay. to undo what Trump did. Oh, hmm. okay. The final tally of the vote, 14 to 1. Oh, so let me get this straight. Yeah. We are uniting the world. No, not at all. (laughs) The resolution sponsored by Egypt was expected to be vetoed, but it also intended to demonstrate international disapproval of America's controversial decision. UN Middle East Peace Envoy weighed in ahead of the vote. Reuters report saying, in the wake of the decision of the United States, the situation has become more tense with an increase in incidents, notably rockets fired from Gaza and clashes between Palestinians and Israeli security forces. Nikki Haley, America's ambassador to the U.N., said that being forced into the veto by the other members was an insult. It would not be forgotten. Monday marked the first time the U.S. has had to use its veto power in the Security Council in more than six years. Wow. The the world is united against this decision. Well, that's the thing. We are uniting the world. Well, except for Israel and the U.S. Against us. Everyone's cool with it. Okay. So I I thought that story was... I mean, that's one way to get diplomacy. (laughs) Just thumb your nose at the world. Uh, yeah, so, right. yeah, she didn't like that. No. Puerto Rico's governor on Monday ordered a full review of a recount of the island's death toll from Hurricane Maria. The move comes after the intense secu- uh, scrutiny because the government's unbelievably low count of 64 deaths. The New York Times analysis, on the other hand, put the number of deaths traceable to the storm at 1,052. And yeah. Puerto Rico's Center for Investigative Journalism came to a similar conclusion. The prolonged blackout hampered critical medical treatment for some on the island's most vulnerable patients, including many who were bedridden and dependent on dialysis or respirators, the New York Times reports. But if they died as a result, the storm's role in their deaths may have gone unofficial or officially unrecorded. In a statement on his requested uh, account to the governor of Puerto Rico, this is about more than numbers. These are lives, real people leaving behind loved ones and families. Well, who would want a lower count? But I guess officials that want well, to pretend like we handled it well. FEMA's down there. It's a perfect 10 on response. Yeah. And those so are that's comments quite that a are discrepancy made. from 60-something yeah. to 1,000-something. Right. Yeah. Republican lawmakers have proposed almost doubling the disaster aid re- uh, funds requested by President Trump on November to $81 billion to cover hurricane damage in Texas, Florida, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. 
Mm. And the fires across the West. They going to take that out of the wall fund? I don't know. What's happening with that wall, by the way? Oh, it's going There's, up. There might be some money it's, in Medicaid they can find. Yeah. Pull it out of there. Plus all the new taxes. I mean, that'll change everything. President Trump's national security advisor, H.R. McMaster, on Tuesday accused the Russian government of engaging in a sophisticated subversion Ooh. in meddling with the 2016 U.S. presidential election. He goes, I believe that Russia is engaged in a very sophisticated campaign of subversion to affect our confidence in democratic institutions. Yeah. Which is in direct conflict with Duh. his boss, who says it's all made up. Right. Uh, a health story, since Dr. Hager just sat down. Yeah. Running and cycling is great for building up your cardiovascular endurance, but new research suggests you should mix it up if you want to reduce your cancer risk. Oh, really? Strengthen, strengthen the exercises such as press-ups and sit-ups, or push-ups, the power to prevent the, have the power to prevent the deadly disease in a way that jogging doesn't. Researchers who studied more than 80,000 people in the UK found that people who did strength-based exercise reduced their risk of death by nearly a quarter, or 23%, overall, and death by cancer by almost 31%. Really? So they say that cardiovascular exercise alone has effect, but you take cardio plus the weightlifting, yeah. and that has a, a better of uh, influence of stopping. It's always about more. Got to do more. When are they going to say, no exercise, you'll live cancer-free? Never. Probably never. So it's about cancer. That's good. Stop cancer. And finally, Learning. I found a list. What? I actually found it two weeks ago, but I've been holding on to it. Okay. America's favorite Christmas candy. By state. Okay. By state. By state. State by state. The favorite candy of each state. Now, this, com- this, this. company, um, where'd it go? It's called the Candy Store. They know candy. They they sell bulk candy. So they yeah. look at all their orders and they organize them by state. Where's yeah. the most kind of, what's the most popular candy per state? These are, what, but, what state would you like to know, man? Well, but this won't be name brand candy, right? This Some will of be, them are. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Let's, I mean, I, I, let's just start, of course, with home town. Um, it's kind of depressing. What? Reindeer corn. Uh, Ooh. Brother! So Christmas candy corn. Come on! They make that out of the antlers that they shed. Yeah, it's the shedding antlers. White, green, and red colored. No. It's all the same plastic sugar, no. honey flavored candy corn. The same candy you've been eating for four months. It's the same in uh, Alabama, so we have that going for us. Okay. Uh, what else do you want to know? But in Alabama, yeah. you don't even dare go to the mall to get the candy corn. Oh, now. Don't even dare. Haven't you beaten this guy up enough? What are you, ta- what are you talking about? Okay, never mind. Vermont and Washington like their candy canes. Oh, yeah, that's a good choice. D.C. is big on Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. Uh, South Dakota, they like their uh, Reese's Mini Cups. Ooh, Along those are the with best. Uh, Oregon, there's a bunch of them here that like the New Jersey good likes taste. the Reese's. That's yeah, good yeah. taste in those states. Uh, California likes peppermint bark. Come again? Peppermint bark. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of saw us going that way. Alaska <laughs> with the Hershey's Kisses. So they peppermint like those. bark is like chocolate and then peppermint it's chocolate. White, white chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. This with crushed up candy canes. Wisconsin. Oh, sorry, bark expert. <laughs> Wisconsin, North Carolina, New Mexico, Texas, South Carolina, yeah. Ohio, uh-huh. Louisiana, wow. Pez, Blah. along with Arizona. They all uh. like Pez. I can't eat any candy that comes out of the neck of a Disney character. And that tastes like chalk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Once they, once they, once they like pull back the neck of something, the head, and out of the neck pops a little brick. I, I lose all ability to. Didn't eat. you ever have the Linda Blair uh, Pez dispenser? It not only the head didn't come back, but it oh, spun no. around as well. Oh no! <laughs> Sounds really appealing. <laughs> That's horrible. Mississippi likes uh, Snickers. Montana's yes. big on Skittles, along with New York, along with um, the running back from the Raiders. Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch. I was Ooh. trying to think who was that guy. We just we just watched a show with that him yesterday. That guy likes his Skittles. Connecticut likes and Iowa and Kentucky or yeah Kentucky, mm-hmm. Wyoming, yeah, Virginia or is that Vermont? That's Virginia. M and M's. See mm. what is the deal with Utah and these horrible reindeer corns? Right. Wait, that was ours. Was the candy corn? Yeah, Christmas candy corn. No, well, the that's reindeer just, corns. That's because people in Utah are very big on, on food storage and emergency kits, which they can double as candles. That's right. They can be – yeah, just put a wick in those things and yeah. you can you light, light them up. for hours. <laughs> Plus the sugar. OK. All right. Well, that's that's exciting. That's actually pretty – And for some odd reason, December 26th is National Candy Cane Day. Well, oh. Yeah. Because they're all on sale for a quarter after Christmas. Yeah, you got you to gotta liquidate by the way, have you put a candy cane in like a chocolate shake before? Yes. That's good living right there. That's well, when I drink my hot chocolate is when I, you know, stir around a candy cane inside. This says 1.76 billion candy canes are produced every year for the holiday season. How many really? are actually consumed? Well, a lot of them are broken and so they yeah. – yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I never really go, ooh, there's a candy cane. Let me consume that. I By the way, no, don't, don't be fooled. You know how they have these novelty size candies that people give as stocking stuffers, like the you know, the pound of Snickers mm-hmm. or the ten pounds of chocolate? Don't get the oversized candy cane. Yeah, that's because a... it does not taste like peppermint. It looks like it's going to taste like peppermint, no. but it just tastes like a sugar cube. Yeah. Plaster, don't do it. Plaster. It tastes like plaster wall. Yeah. Anything that's that big. And don't – I mean, last time we had one, we had rebar in it. Oh, yeah. That totally ruins the taste. Then you use that when you hurt your ankles. I think you inserted some in there. Come again? So that your grankles would be a little stronger. Why are you bringing up those, my grankles? Well, because you brought up the rebar that – Yeah, it has nothing to do with my oh, grankles. Okay. All right. I have a, a nana with very delicate, dainty ankles, and she handed them down to me. And now you make fun of her. No, I made fun of you. Let's make that very clear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, may she rest in peace. Sorry that people keep making fun of your ankles, Nana. (laughs) It's just not right. Hey, good news out of um, Disney. Did you hear that uh, Disney's animatronic Trump? Yes, I saw that yesterday. What? There is an animatronic Trump. In the Hall of Presidents? Mm -hmm. Yes, they just unveiled him. They had to... Build him, and, and many say he's actually more presidential than the actual president. <laughs> Jacket, <laughs> it's very true to form. Jacket unbuttoned, tie a yeah. little too long, a little too long on the tie. Looks just like our president. Do you he, think they're going to have to put a security guard in the Hall of Presidents to constantly monitor that to make sure that nobody defaces it in any way? Why would somebody deface President Trump's? I'm just saying it, it could happen with any of the presidents in the Hall of Presidents. He. Something doesn't look right. 
Yeah, it's a little little off. It looks almost a little bit more like it's not Joe the, Biden. It's not the right hue of orange. That's it. That's or, it. Or Chris Matthews. That looks more like orange 36. They should have gone for mm. orange 27. <laughs> but it's uh, – ah. It's really hard to do a wax sort of robot-looking – caricature of a person that everyone knows what they look like you're no, never going to get it right no you can't george get it right. washington everyone's like oh, it's george washington we have no idea what he looked like and we have guesses but well his face is on the our currency yeah so. but i bet you you can't take the dollar and go stand next to him and go, george oh, yeah, washington looks great it's because yeah. we don't we, you know we don't know what he looks like we don't see him every day he would look even better though on a hundred dollar bill george? you have to admit yeah I think Donald Trump's going to probably make the hundred soon. Really? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, apparently George uh, – Donald in this is listening to George speak and then Donald is now talking in the – I'm just doing a little play-by-play of the oh, uh, animatronic the video. Huh? video. Hmm. It's what really is he good. saying? You're fired! Is he really? I don't know. I can't tell, but he's moving his hands like – because I've got the audio down. Let me see. No. Why? It's kind of just for Terry and I. Wow. Sorry. So rude. Anyway, um, so he finally made it. And that's pretty great. I remember when they first came out with those presidents in the Hall of Presidents and they were very robotic. That looks very real. Yeah, it totally does. Or does the president look robotic? Great point. Wouldn't it be great if we found out it was actually him? Well, he just does that on the side? Sure. Hold on, I got to get back to Disney. There were those rumors that Hillary Clinton had a double, and then Melania. There was the rumors that she had a double, really, and that's who we're actually seeing at public gatherings. Does Donald Trump have a double, and he's actually in the Hall of Presidents? <laughs> Maybe you can make this part of your presidential platform, Matt. Get to the bottom of this. This is a this is something we need to know. Yeah, we're so those that don't know, we're starting a new. Uh, not that we're running for president. Mm. It's an exploratory but committee. we're starting a platform for President of the United States, and I can't remember what it was because I went off on a No, tangent. removing your shoes at the movie theater was part of it. It had something to do with media. You're going to investigate uh, why they keep raising our fees for streaming services, yes. why cell yes. phones don't have headphone jacks anymore, yes. things like this, important yes. issues that America cares about. How come we all have neck pain Mm. because of our devices why can they somehow not change the way we use the devices to not suffer neck pain can you get movie theaters to install their screens on the ceiling so that when we have the reclining seats we can actually enjoy it like at the dentist office that's a good tv's on the ceiling yeah yeah but do you like that no I, i think it's the greatest thing ever created what else would be great then is if they could give us a little tube while we're on our back and we could just spit in the tube Instead of having to swallow. Come on! Okay. That's We're not at the dentist. Go. This is sounding more and more like the plot of the film WALL-E. Yeah. Where we're all obese and get around in chairs and we live in space because we've made Earth uninhabitable. Yeah, we're getting closer to that, aren't we? Minute by minute, WALL-E's becoming a reality. More on the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, up next, Dr. Ron Hager is going to teach us how to have happy holiday eating habits by understanding what our principles are, the principles we're going to use to govern our uh, our health and our eating habits. Lots to learn straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Are you ready for a miracle? 
Mm-hmm. Dr. Ron Hager is joining us. Uh, Ron is, uh, he is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at BYU and is an expert in chronic disease prevention. He's also the health evangelist, which is so much better than the health, than the death preventer. They're the same thing. Exact same thing. But, uh, but definitely yeah. one We used to call you the death preventer. The death preventer. But then it almost like took on the form of like deity. Is right? that, oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, I was thinking more like the... Or like the dark side, yeah, the dementors. Yeah, like the, you know, the, the guy with the big sickle. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Death. But you would pr- you'd actually take him on. Um, and so, <laughs> sure. so today, by I'd the run. way... I'd run from him. I... You, yeah, you'd have to... The guy's got a sickle, for heaven's yeah, sakes. Yeah. So Dr. Ron always comes in and tries to make us all healthy. And there's no better time, Ron, than right now, because this is sure. when we start to slide into apparently the peppermint bark world, <laughs> yeah. which is a, the favorite of some cities and, and states, um, and all of this candy and then just a lot of food and consumption. Yeah, it's a time for exceptions, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. what we think, right? So, yeah. And justifications and rationalization. <laughs> yeah, but you, you're very good and you always do this about it's, – it's always about choices. Yeah. And we have more choices than we think we have. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember a few weeks ago we kind of started kind of talking about this idea of, you know, kind of living by, I guess, principles as it might apply to your health. Yeah. You know, so we don't say at a certain time of year, you know, like let's say Christmas time or whatever or, you know, sometime in May, you know, we don't say – Finally, it's May. I can go out and rob a bank. You know, right. May is, you know, rob, it's bank robbery ro- day. rob a bank month or whatever, <laughs> you know, because people would say, you know, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't steal. That's against my principles. We don't do that. Right. Yeah. So I, I've always kind of been inclined to say things like, well, wh- why not have principles regarding your health? Why not yeah. say to yourself, this is just something I don't do? And, you know, it, 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 regardless of the situation, uh, you know, I, 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 wrote, I wrote something down. For you know, for today's little outline, I said it's not about the holiday; it's about how you choose to live, regardless of the holiday, mm. right? So, so you don't you don't make exceptions uh, right. for things that are important to you. Yeah, you stick by them, and you can still live your principles and have and taste a dessert and well, sure, experience a dessert. You don't have to. It's just the difference of eating the entire dessert and sure, I, I would think five that, other desserts. I would think that when most people feel like they operate by principles, when they keep those principles, they actually feel pretty good, mm-hmm. you know, about about kind of being in charge. And, right. You know, their self-esteem goes up and they feel like they're the ones uh, in control. I mean, we, we know of examples where people would actually die rather than violate their principles. Oh, right. Sure. So so it it, it can be something that can guide you, you know, if you want to set yourself up for, I guess, maybe you know, principle-centered health. Yeah. But right. a lot of us just that just that just takes so much work <laughs> compared to yeah, just going with the status quo or, you know, stopping at the nearest restaurant. Yeah. Well, I'm not I'm not going to argue that point. You're demanding that we actually own yeah. our lives and our choices. Yeah, but you know, isn't it kind of interesting, Matt, that uh, you know, talk about this idea of responsibility or ownership rather than I guess kind of look at the root cause of something. Like let's say, you know, a person gains five pounds a year for 10 years and they end up being 50 pounds heavier in the end and they wonder what happened. Yeah, what? You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't some kind of a, uh, you know, a miracle. 
you know, that caused that to happen. Yeah. But yet people oftentimes look for these quick fixes, these almost like miracle cures or remedies for their situation. You know, it's like, well, it took me 10 years to put on this 50 pounds, but is there any way I can take it off by next week? I've got a reunion coming up. Yeah, or something. And and the same thing with their fitness. You know, people oftentimes notice a decline in their their strength or their endurance and 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 they they look for something to to fix it instead of just saying, well, you know, why not just reverse what got me here? Right. You yeah. know, kind of a root cause sort of a perspective. And do it over a lifetime, not over a weekend. Exactly. That that's the point. I mean, you do something for 10 years to get where you are, well, just reverse the process and, and then say, well, I'm going to do this from now on, mm-hmm. you know, to make it different. And that might be a good idea as we're looking toward the new year, New Year's resolutions, yeah. and let's like truly try to redirect ourselves to to become a more principled, centered, healthy person. I guess so. I and mean, that's yeah. couldn't yeah, hurt. I like that idea. What uh, what can we do though to make it through this holiday without totally you know going sideways? Well, I I I have a few ideas. Um, some of these might sound a little crazy, but you know sometimes when you operate by principles, you might be viewed as being crazy. You mm. know, or or yeah, or, or, in, or or initially you might think that it seems a little odd even to yourself. But you can make these things uh, patterns. Um, uh, how about this? Uh, wear walking or running shoes, you know, comfortable shoes, uh, as much as you can, so that you're ready to go. Uh, I know it's I know it's nice to you know dress up and uh, you know wear different kinds of clothes for the holidays, especially if you're entertaining or having parties or guests right. over or something like that. Um, but but try and try and be as ready to go as you can. Even even how about this idea? Like while meals are cooking, uh, because a lot of people are spending time in the kitchen and. Uh, and and so you're you're doing things according to time, right? Well, this has got to be in the oven for 35 minutes. Well, what you know? Do you? I, I know a lot of times I say, okay, whew, you know, this is in the oven for 35 minutes. Now I can sit down and look well, at stuff on yeah. my phone, watch a show, until the buzzer game, goes off. Right. Yeah. Why not? Why why not say you know while meals are cooking, you know, in the oven, for example, maybe go for some kind of a timed. You got a timed you, bake you going be on. Back. Yeah. Go for a timed walk. That's or a, a great idea. Or a you know something like that. Uh, maybe just do uh, you know two laps around the block. Mm-hmm. And, and you might think that's insignificant. You might say, well, that's not really going to make that much of a difference. But as a single event, probably not. Yeah. But if you make this a pattern in your life. And you do this as much as you can, then it builds up over time. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, so I think that's a good one. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be spending times in malls, going shopping. Right. Uh, so why not just say, okay, well, there's a couple things. One is instead of trying to park as close to the mall as you can, why not think about parking as far away as you can that's reasonable? Yeah. And say— Which you may have to do anyway. Which you may have to do anyway. But how about this one? When you get to the mall, uh, say— before I actually even go in a single store or shop for anything, I'm going to do two complete laps around the mall. Oh, and, that's and, a, oh. and then I'll start yeah. shopping. Yeah, but then you'll just be exhausted eight eight hours later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that but that but that's it. Like challenge yourself a little bit more is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just saying look for opportunities to infuse these activity episodes in your life. I love that. Uh, whether you're at home, whether you're going shopping, uh, deciding where you want to park. Um, I heard this interesting quote once, a person's health can be judged by which they take two at a time. 
hills or stairs. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, also look for opportunities to, to just move more uh, and, and don't look for the, the path of least resistance. This is the perfect time, you know, to look for, I guess, the path of most resistance mm-hmm. because, uh, like I said, even, you know, there have been studies done on how many, how many stairs people take a day. And, and it, it's been shown to uh, have an impact on risk of disease, on your overall health. Uh, so look for those opportunities. When you can take stairs instead of escalators or elevators, why not do it? And it seems like the winter time, too, is it changes your game. I walk a lot in the summer, in the spring, in the fall. But winter, it just takes you out of your game. So you've got to get creative and find another way. You do. There's also... I mean, everybody's into electronics now, uh, smartphones, smart watches. There's all kinds of apps out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, there have been some recent studies that have come out to show that these apps, not for everybody, but for, for the right kind of person, they can actually be intriguing and motivating, uh, you know, people who like to count their steps. You know, and it doesn't really matter whether the device overestimates or underestimates. Right. The point is you're using it as a mechanism for accountability, and some people really get into that. For other people, it's been shown that it doesn't have, you know, that, uh, there are a lot of people who are kind of anti-electronics. You know, they're like, well, I don't need a watch to tell me how many <laughs> steps I take. Um, but for the, but if you're that kind of a person that kind of, you know, likes to use the electronics and the apps and the programs that are available, they even have them not just for activity but even for diet. You know, they have, yeah. a, they have apps now. You can actually take a picture of the food. That you're that you're about to eat, and and, and it analyzes it, and it, it it tells you what it is. I, I mean, not, not it, it doesn't say that's lasagna. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you know that, but it tells you, you know, uh, approximately how many calories yeah. are in it, or how much fat or uh, carbohydrate or protein is in it, or that kind of thing. And they're very accurate. I've noticed when I when I they take effort, but when you're doing that, you really you do watch your calories and you yes. you're, you're accounting for everything you're eating. Yeah, so some people really really like that kind of uh you know, I guess uh direction, yeah. you know, or, or something to guide them. So, you know, I say if you're that kind of person, go ahead and use those uh those mobile apps or smartphone apps or whatever they are. Um you know, when it comes to we we you know, we, that one works well for you know, both being active and for eating because they have those kinds of apps. Uh, here's another one that I've noticed. It's not unusual, uh, even in even in places when, where winter is winter, uh, there are lots of communities that have like these uh, fun runs, these fun walks, uh, you know, and, and sometimes they do them, you know, for, uh, you know, like Multiple Sclerosis Research right. Foundation or the Diabetes Research Foundation. So, you know, it's an opportunity to you know, contribute to a good cause as well as motivate yourself. And you can create an opportunity here to sort of do a, you know, make make a tradition for your family. Yeah. You know, even if you got kids coming from out of town or, or whatever, you know, everybody comes together and we're going to do this every year. You know, we're going to do this 5K fun run or this fun walk. And it's charitable. Like and sure. like, and it works. And you, you could actually, every holiday could have some health tradition. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like Thanksgiving, you know, kind of the, you know, the the turkey bowl, the yeah, flag the football, football game, thing, right? or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a popular thing. It's a great uh, time to blow your knee out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All those exactly. guys that haven't worked out. Yeah, forever. and and when you do the fun run thing, you usually get, 
a T-shirt, you know, yeah. so everybody, then you, you know, get who participates can picture. have the same T-shirt and you can have your picture taken yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think that's a good idea, too, because a lot of communities are doing those sorts of things. Um, when it comes to eating, you know, a lot of people go on tradition. In fact, a lot of times what people eat, just even on a regular basis, out, even outside the holidays, is based on how they were raised, what the traditions were uh, in their families. Uh, but I say, you know, there's no reason why you can't make uh, some new some new traditions. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe change, you know, the kinds of foods that are available, you know, like the snack foods yeah. and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, Christmas time, the holidays, this is a... A time when you know the bowls of M and M's, the candy corn. I, you know, I've never liked candy corn. No. Not, not even since I was a little boy. I'd go trick or treating, and the more candy corn I got, the more the more upset I was. Yeah. I was like, No, You're no, ripped no. Off. I want real candy. Don't you people know that? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> anyway, so instead of putting that kind of stuff out, especially you know these things that are calorie dense, uh, you know, lots of calories for just a a little bit of food. Uh, you know, maybe consider some new traditions. Put out more vegetable trays or. Uh, something yeah. like that. I mean, idea. there's so there's so many healthy finger foods: uh, celery, carrots, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, cucumbers. Uh, you know, all the, even the you know the little tomatoes. You know, oh, you, you just pop one in your mouth. Love that. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great idea. I, I, I think. Um, now, now this one might sound a little bit extreme, uh, but everybody's got clothes that fit tighter than others. You know, maybe around the holidays, maybe think about putting those clothes on. <laughs> Interesting. Wear, wear the tighter fitting clothes yeah. because it, it might just help remind you that you know you don't want to get any bigger. Right. <laughs> Who cares if you have a like a cupcake top? <laughs> yeah, it's just spilling over. Just exactly. wear it. Yeah, but but it might might make you think twice. It about, really about, might about. You know, do I really want to eat that? Yeah. You know, don't or... layer up. The minute you're starting to layer and put all these layers on, you're yeah. hiding it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, now I know at the holiday time. You know, it's a time for eating kinds of foods that you don't eat a lot of times, you know, at other times of the year. Um, but, you know, just ask yourself, do I really even like this food? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and of course, that, that could get you into trouble, too, because you might say, yeah, this is my favorite time of year because of the food. Uh, but, you know, but I'm just saying try and be a little more mental, mm-hmm. a little more cognitive about this. Is this uh, something I really – I'm excited to eat, or am I? Is it you know? Yeah, it's on maybe. The table. And maybe just ask yourself questions. Is it? Is it the best thing for me to be eating? Just, yeah. Just a little bit of self awareness. Yeah. You know, I think is a good idea when it comes to uh, eating. Now, I read a book uh, some time ago called Mindless Eating. Uh, the author's uh, Brian Weinsick. Uh He has a PhD, so you know it must be good. You know it's legit. Yeah. But here's a suggestion he has from his book that I really I, I thought this might be of interest. Uh, never having more than two different items on your plate at one time. So at the holiday season, it's like, you oh. know, uh, no matter what the plate size Pile is, it's it like, how, how high can I get it? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's running off the edges and, and lots of food is out. And you want a little bit of everything on your plate. And that adds up pretty quick. He says, just make a rule. You know, it doesn't mean you can't go back for more, but he's saying just have only no more than two different things on your plate at one time. He says, by doing this, you may be little better able to control how much you eat, huh. you know, than, rather than having a little bit of 20 different things. Yeah. You just say, well, I'm going to have this and this, only those two things on my plate, and then you eat it. Now, if you want some more of something else, then you go back. But if you eat those two things and you're like, you know what? I'm satisfied. That, that was worked. plenty. Now, right. you don't, now you don't have this mountain of food sitting on your plate that you feel obligated to eat. So I thought that might be something that 
you know, could, could be helpful. Another one you always bring up um, is are the drinks. Yeah. The drinks, we could be shoving a lot of calories in our bodies just by what we're drinking. Yeah, you can overconsume calories real fast if you're drinking them. And whether it's alcoholic or just juices or sparkling ciders Sugar, or whatever, yeah. these are very you know, quick opportunities to load up on the calories. <laughs> uh, you know, you can, you can, even if it's just, I mean, a lot of people think of a glass of orange juice as being, you know, pretty darn healthy. Uh, well, it's not nearly as healthy as eating the orange. Yeah, eat an orange. Yeah, and you know you can you can triple or quadruple the number of calories in a glass of orange juice that you would get if you just ate the orange. Mm. So it, it you know it it racks up fast. So water. Yeah. You know water well, and conscious be conscientious about your meals. Slow down. Pay attention. Yeah, and sometimes people creative. you know they like you know the celebration atmosphere. You know, things have to be sparkling. Yeah. But, you know, there are some there are some very inexpensive sparkling waters. And if you want to, squeeze some lemon in it or squeeze some lime in it. Yeah. You know, the real lemon and lime. Uh, and, you know, just have some sparkling water. Mix it water. up and make it healthy. Yeah. Well, Ron, you did it again. You're You're trying your best to make us healthy. I'm trying. I mean, Jeff's over there, like, dipping his finger in a jar of nacho cheese. But uh, I don't know if you saw that. Anyway, we appreciate you. Dr. Ron Hager, we call him the health evangelist, also the death preventer. So if you just follow just some of his rules, you're less likely to die this holiday season. Just a few ideas. Just a little Christmas cheer for you. Thanks, Matt. Dr. Ron, thank you very much. Again, he's an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences right here at Brigham Young University. Hey, up next, uh, two of Santa's little favorite elves. Our good friends from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. So much to talk about. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. It's time to go down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation as they're preparing for their big show, which starts in about 12 minutes today. It's Jerem and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Hello Hello there. How are you guys doing? Greetings and salutations. (laughs) Greetings and salutations to you as well. Thank you, Jason. Hey, by the way, are you guys guys caught up in this whole controversy about uh, all the backlash about the, uh, the Star Wars movie? We were just talking. We were literally just talking. I could sense it. I could feel it in you. People are up. Like the force was telling you we were talking about Uh it? Totally. (laughs) I thought you were going to keep talking. (laughs) No, I wanted to hear that. At first I was like, whoa, somebody's milking a magic animal on Luke's planet. Yeah, that was that, Oh, gross. that's where the intergalactic uh, <laughs> milk comes from. Yes. Uh, funny you should say milk uh, because <laughs> Bill Walton Saturday uh, oh, was describing McKay Cannon on, on the BYU men's basketball team. said he's from Shelley, Idaho, the son of a, a dairy farmer. And then uh, McKay Cannon hits the three and he says, milk this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill Walton, man. I just can't get over some of the stuff. He really should work for our travel department here at BYU. Mm, hey, uh, okay. I, we, I don't even know where to begin because I've got so many things I want to ask you. Um, Kobe, one jersey's not good enough. So Kobe. Kobe, he gets rid of two jerseys. Well, with Jordan, they should have done the 45, which he wore for like totally. a night or three. Or, and then plus his baseball uniform. 
No, that one can. <laughs> the Birmingham Barons. Yeah. yeah. Is that who they were? 30 for 30 about Jordan riding the bus was pretty good, though. Yeah. That was fun. You got to love that. Hey, so, uh, what? I mean, it, it's historic. Does it matter that the Lakers still lost? Does that no. nullify the retirement? Does he have to come out of retirement now? <laughs> it's funny how many times the team actually loses on a night like that. The Jazz lost the night that they uh, right. that they uh, put up uh, Malone's jersey. Yeah, you, well, you did it with Jim McMahon. It's, yeah, it, it's funny how often that actually happens. It's just sad. Like the team can't pull it through for you that day. Come on. Yeah, I mean, look, I, uh, I I'm not a Laker fan. Was never a Kobe fan. I I didn't even tune into it. I really didn't. You were a Bill Walton fan. I like I like me some Bill Walton. <laughs> I've I've appreciated. I like William Walton. Billy. I've appreciated Kobe Bryant more post career. Yeah, you've liked Because when he was playing, I was like, oh, I can't stand the guy. I can't stand the Lakers. But I've come to appreciate his greatness post-career. So watching it on he's YouTube? One of the greatest, oh, he's one ten, of the greatest. Of ten course. greatest players yeah. in Absolutely. There's no question amazing, about that. Amazing, right? Yeah. No, totally. I, I, may, I may disagree with some things in his life, but sure. whatever. As sure. a basketball player. Boy, he was annoying, was though. Amazing. Don't you like remember some of those jazz former, games? Yeah. I, I like to think of him as former Charlotte Hornet, Kobe former, Bryant. Former Hornet. Uh, with the that's technically pick. who drafted him. I'm like, just going to say. Like Jimmer Fredette was drafted by the Bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jimmer. Yeah. Yeah, Milwaukee Buck. Former. James Taft Fredette. Um, is that his middle name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like yeah. Taft. When he's a general authority. Yeah. No, that, be, uh, yeah Jimmer his, T. Fredette. That's J. his general Taft authority Fredette. name right there. Hey, um, okay. Yesterday, I know you had uh, Jeff Grimes on the show, right? Oh, we got Grimey. Okay. So, so in a nutshell... What did what what's the big advantage to Grimes as the new offensive coordinator for BYU? What's the win? How how are, how are things going to be dramatically different? Well, look, I mean, the guy hasn't actually been on the job like officially yet. Oh, okay. so everything is projecting <laughs> out. Here's sure. and this actually is what we're going to discuss a little bit today. Good. Is more of our impressions of of Coach Grimes. But I, I think the one thing that fans have all kind of latched on to is, number one, he's a very commanding presence. He's got a lot of experience. He's got a deep voice. But, but this is a guy that just kind of looks like someone that's just not going to take any guff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ooh, like he's cool. gonna He's going to be there. And, and, and all of the former players, they love him, but they also know when it's time to go to work – you better put in the work. You clock in. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest takeaways of this hire is he's that type of personality. Ooh, that's good. That's fun. Little cracking of the whip. He does it, he does it with love, though, I think. Yeah, a love crack with the he whip. He has tremendous coaching experience yeah. in recently and with really good success in notable places. Uh, Ty Detmer's strength was that he knew BYU, that he had been – uh, had the you know won the Heisman that he had been in the NFL for 14 years. Uh, he came from uh, not a ton of coaching experience. He had coached himself as the head coach of a kind of smaller Texas high school. So there was some risk in a first time OC in that way. There's less risk with Jeff Grimes in that he's been in the college game at a high level for several years. Coached a Heisman Trophy winner versus being a Heisman Trophy winner. Has uh, coached in the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC. So. He hasn't been a first-time play caller, but uh, I think this is the right opportunity for him. In his mind, he said, uh, it's time for BYU to have a person like me. Yeah. Mm. Um, which is a pretty confident notion. Yeah. Um, so we'll play a, a few sound bites from uh, Jeff Grimes from Saturday's press conference and or 
the show yesterday, and so That's you'll cool. get to know the new OC a little bit better. Well, and he's been here before, so he understands the recruiting yep. issues. That's and, important. And he's excited about it. Like, he thinks we have huge advantages. He said, I wouldn't call them challenges. Yeah, I'd right. call them opportunities, you know. That's a good spirit. Right he, there. Listen, in 2006, Jeff Grimes was here when BYU was 11-2 and two and ranked in the top 15. He knows that BYU can do things and uh, be a top 25 program. He's been a part of one here. Well, yeah. look at it. I mean, this is a non-LDS guy who's been here knows what it's all about, and chose to come back. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. From a big program. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that is a national championship. Yeah. He's got a national championship ring when he was at Auburn. He's been at Power 5 teams for several years. He went to an independent team that won four games last year. Like, he wants to be here. He's hungry. I like hungry. it. Okay. Hungry. Okay. What else? Uh, what else you got on your show? I know we've only got a minute or so or less. What's What's coming up? Blaine Fowler will join us. We'll talk to him about the the hiring of Jeff Grimes. We'll also focus a lot of the interview uh, on BYU's basketball team. I mean, obviously, still enjoying uh, the win over Utah yeah. the other day. So, a lot to get to with both football and basketball uh, with Blaine Fowler. And it is between the lines. Of course it is. It is a, a white elephant gift exchange, which I was a part of. It was very fun. Oh, I can only imagine what came out there. Uh, well, Jerem Jordan, Jason Shepard, thanks, brethren. Knock them dead. Have a great show, which I know you will. That uh, it's that, This Grimes, man, he sounds like the real deal. Nothing grimy about Jeff Grimes. Ready to get in and kill it. Um, hey, as you know, we always like to wrap up the show and do a little hero story. For you, And our hero uh, is an Eagle Scout, and it's coming from that Amtrak crash in Washington State. Uh, Daniel Konzelman was driving to work in Olympia with his girlfriend, Alicia Hoverson, when he noticed a train zipping by him. I noticed it was going really fast. I'd never seen a train going that fast in the past. I drive that stretch of road every day. He was driving about 60 to 65 miles an hour. The speed limit on the tracks is generally about 79 miles per hour. Um, And that's where the derailment happened. Apparently, the train was going about 79 in a 30-mile-per-hour area, according to uh, the um, Washington State Department of Transportation. Anyway, Konzelman said, I looked up and saw the train was hanging off. Uh, He saw the, the crash, and it was hanging off of the overpass. He said, oh, my gosh, this was major. He pulled off the freeway, then ran onto the tracks leading to the rail bridge. He saw five people climbing out of a train car on the bridge. There were two cars that had turned sideways on the bridge, Konzelman said. The passengers had broken out one of the emergency exit windows and had blood streaming from their heads. A lot of them had hip or back injuries, respiratory problems. So he put his Eagle Scout training to work, started doing first aid on these people, and his uh, girlfriend, Hoverson, ran up to help along the way. And one by one, they just started doing everything they could to get people out of the train. He said, I had a lot of people with broken ankles. Many were in shock. They couldn't feel anything um, that was going on. There were a few people pinned under the train. Anyway, it was chaos, but uh, the Boy Scout and him kicked in. So he's the hero of the day. And again, that, that story of that accident and all accidents, there's always heroes that will appear. And you are one of those just being the good in the world is part of the key, and that's why we do the show. That's up. That's it for us, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow and uh, continue the journey with you. Up next, BYU Sports Nation.